Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardis, and today we are reviewing every single afternoon game from a good week 10. Again, any Sunday without NFL football is a hell of a lot better than any Sunday without it, so I will never sit here and slander any slate of games from the best sport ever created. As always, I am joined by none other than senior PFF analyst Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, how are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I know we're about to talk about the Browns, and I sent you a note before, like, my dog pound, like, they got free. Like, I had a, we had a storm blow through last night, and I didn't realize, like, so, like, the fence was all jacked up this morning, and I let the dogs out in the afternoon, and my wife's like, yeah, like, the dogs are all running down the road, and I went out in the backyard. I was like, yeah, we got a problem, so had to make trip to Home Depot, Ian, you know, do a little work on the fence this afternoon, <laughs> then come back and catch up on the games. But I think, I, like, I... I think I picked a good day to like have to like spend an hour and a half on my fence. Like, yeah, good slate, I guess, but like nothing that I saw that was just dramatically making me think anything different about the NFL this weekend. All of Dwayne's dogs are accounted for. Don't worry. But we finally They're got the, we They're finally good. got the answer to the two decades old question: Who let the dogs out? It was Dwayne, in fact. So, <laughs> with that said, Patriots took down the Browns forty-five to seven. New England covered easily as a two and a half point favorite. The over cashed out forty-four and a half. So Baker Mayfield absolutely horrendous in this one. He did leave early with a knee injury, but don't let that distract you from what he put on display before. Twenty-one passes, seventy-three yards, just one touchdown and an interception. Honestly the interception if the first guy didn't pick it the second guy would have and there were at least one or two other dropped interceptions throughout the game um brown's wide receivers before baker got hurt i believe combined for one catch for 11 yards so release all them it's not how this works if baker doesn't do well we cut the wide receivers so okay i'll uh, I'll, I'll save that i won't go down that road too far but truly terrible game from this brown's offense unless you started dearness johnson who if you guys tuned into our injury uh podcast last friday like i was originally had him as like a borderline RB1. Luckily, my friends, PFF's own Dwayne and Andrew Erickson talked to me about getting him even higher, settled in as RB7, and he responded with 156 scoreless yards on 26 touches, just complete workhorse users that we'll continue to see anytime Chubb, Hunt, and Demetric Felton miss the action. So really, Darren Johnson was the Browns offense in this one. The only touchdown was a short one to Austin Hooper, and it was almost just like completely telling of how this Browns tight end situation has been all year long because two plays before that, Baker hit Njoku in the chest and he dropped the touchdown. So, of course, a different tight end catches the goal line play action a couple plays later. So, that's really it from the Browns. I mentioned Dearness. It was pretty unfortunate if you had Dearness in DraftKings because, as you know, you get the three-point bonus for him going over 100 yards, and he got it, and then he got tackled for a loss and finished with 99. Someone else had this happen to them a couple weeks ago I don't remember who but that is truly a DFS worthy sheesh right there um, only other funny note I had from the Browns was that when Baker originally got hurt that that part was not funny but when they were bringing Case Keenum in the Patriots uh, stadium started blasting Triple H's entrance music it's all about the game and how you play it and he immediately gets sacked twice like I was actually kind of hyped to see Case Keenum for the first time in my life you know getting the WWE vibes going quickly quickly was put out so credit to the Patriots defense you know just another really good game against an offense that let's face it looked pretty damn good last week against the Bengals star of the day was in one way Ramondre Stevenson but really just both the rookies man Mac Jones three touchdowns only four incompletions he only threw the ball 23 times but like Dwayne we have seen 
game manager performances with this sort of stat line that Mac Jones put forward. This was not that. He had several, several high-level throws throughout the afternoon. The touchdown to Kendrick Bourne was between two defenders, only where he could catch it. We also had none other than Jacoby Myers score his first NFL touchdown. Oh, it was electric, man. I mean, I was really the only one screaming where I was watching the game, but I was hyped, and I know a bunch of you were uh, at home as well. Broke a nice tackle to find his way into the end zone. So that was awesome for Jacoby to break that, you know, what felt like a decade-long curse at that point uh, got in the end zone. Again, Kendrick Bourne, really good game from him. 98 receiving yards, also chipped in. 43 rushing yards. Like, I don't know why Kendrick Bourne is the receiver between him, Myers, and Aguilar that they're feeding reverses and screens to. But, hey, they are, and he's making the most out of them. So, fair play to Kendrick Bourne. And then we also had, again, Ramondre Stevenson coming out despite not practicing all week, being the concussion protocol. 100 yards rushing and two scores. Could have been an even bigger day. So I didn't get eyes on this, but we did chalk it up as a drop from the three-yard line. He did drop a ball that I think would have been good for a touchdown. And he also got stopped on the goal line earlier in the game, which could have been his third touchdown. So beggars can't be choosers. I'm just keeping track of the shishas, people. We are not hating on Ramondre for uh, the performance by any stretch of the imagination. Just know it could have been even more. Last note, Hunter Henry, not one, but two touchdown catches with John Smith ruled out with a shoulder injury. So, Dwayne, the big story here is that New England backfield. We had no Damian Harris. It was Stevenson, J.J. Taylor, and Brandon Bolden. It sure looked like Stevenson was dominating it. I know we probably have some fourth quarter usage uh, swaying it, but did you see him really rise up and be the undisputed feature back here in New England? I mean, he basically took the Damian Harris role, like just like, kind of what we projected you know he didn't get the long down and distance that was still Brandon Bolden you know this is this was a great this was a fun game like you got performances out of Dearness Johnson you got performance a performance out of Ramondre Stevenson the problem for us Ian is like probably by next week right you get Damian Harris back next week you probably have Nick Chubb back uh, we'll see what's going to happen with Kareem Hunt so I don't know how actionable all of this is from a fantasy perspective but yes Ramondre Stevenson was out there handling the Damian Harris role. Dearness Johnson, every down role, 95% of the rushing attempts, uh, played 62% of the long down and distance, 100% of the two-minute offense. Dearness Johnson, if anything, like, is this guy earning himself a look, like, on another team? Because, obviously, the Browns are in good shape having, you know, Chubb, having Hunt. But Dearness Johnson needs to be on a roster where he can get more touches, I would say. Now, the Browns have a great offensive line. Uh, they have a great scheme. But at the end of the day, like, when I watch the player every time, I'm just like, man, like, Dearness Johnson actually looks really good. Like, and if you saw him today, like in that game, 73.4 uh, grade on his rushing attempts, you know, 16% of his plays went for over 10 yards. Stevenson also, man, showed some explosiveness. 20% of his plays went for 10 yards or more. When I say plays, I actually mean rushing attempts. Not, I'm not counting his, his passing reception. So, yeah, both guys came through for you today. Um, you know, back to your thing earlier with the receivers, though, Ian. Landry on the field plenty. Um, you got Donovan Peoples-Jones on the field plenty, but wow, it just looks really gross. I, I'm, I'm really concerned about the Browns. Like when I look at them in, it's like they're one of these teams, like if the script works out perfect, right, and they can be in a close game or they can lead, they're fine. But if they ever trail, like they just, they look terrible when they're from, when they're playing from behind. That That's just a gear they don't have. They don't seem to be ready for that. They don't, they can't really go multiple and do all these things with multiple wide receivers, um, they, they're in their sweet spot when they can play two or three tight ends, play one or two wide receivers, play action, all those things. But if you get them away from that, you get them off of that, you move them off their spot, if you will, 
Like, it's just bad news, man. We've seen it multiple times this year, and I'm kind of with you at this point. I don't know why we would really hang on to Brown's receivers unless you're playing in a really deep format. Like, if you're playing 14-teamers, great. You're going to hold on so to people's So, one thing, one thing, I was trying yeah. to be a dick and say, like, the Browns should cut them in real life like they did with OBJ. I wasn't actually saying that every fantasy manager should, shut, should cut these receivers, but... To your point, like, they really aren't people you need to hold on to unless we're in deeper no. leagues anyway. No, no, I'm talking fantasy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get where you were going, but from a fantasy perspective, like, they're just not two players that I really ever want to put into my lineup at this yeah. point. Like, and I'm a big utilization person. Like, so, like, I, I see there could be value, right, in both players, but here's my issue. It's just, like, the, the best version of the Browns' offense is what? It's running the ball. And you get some play action, but there's not a, a lot of volume. So then when you get in a script like this, where it's actually like, oh, we're getting our asses kicked. Like, we should get the ball to Jarvis Landry. We should get the ball to Donovan Peoples-Jones. It doesn't work. And so that's a problem because then it's like, what is the game script that really equals blow-up performances for these receivers? Yeah. Like, I don't see one. Like, when they're leading, it doesn't work. When they're behind, it doesn't work. So it's just a situation. Look, if you're playing in a large league, you're going to keep them on your roster anyway. But, yeah, they're just not players that I'm very confident about. And and we're just at that point in the season where, you know, we're going to be going into week 11. You know, most fantasy teams are going into the final two weeks of their season. And so Jarvis Landry and Donovan Peoples-Jones just aren't two people that we want to be running out there. Um, Jacoby Myers, yes, it was awesome to see him get a touchdown. He's still doing his thing. Um, doing it every week you know so he's basically still I grade him out as a low-end wide receiver three I know he doesn't always get there but like he is the lead target on the team Hunter Henry with Jonu Smith and early scratch you know today 81% of the routes and he actually handled only 17% of the targets 19% targets per route run but what does Hunter Henry do he scores touchdowns and he had two of those today so he really did come through so that's pretty much it on the Patriots and the Browns from a utilization perspective so I'll get off my soapbox Ian and you can just tell everybody to hold on to those receivers only injuries to really break down here i mentioned baker with the knee injury rap sheet did confirm later that the x-ray revealed no structural damage it looked like that if this was like a playoff game baker probably would have been back out there it was just he they were already getting killed by the time he got injured also had anthony schwartz suffer a concussion for the browns so he had been kind of rotating getting some of those air yards for dpj so hey maybe you know we could get a situation like it's not a problem with landry or donovan people's jones it just comes down to volume and they're not getting it so we'll with or without Schwartz, not really going to help matters there. PFF Lily stat for this matchup, though, goes to Mac Jones because, you know, Dwayne, last week I sat here and our, my matchup stat for uh, the Patriots was like, hey, look at Mac Jones relative to all the other rookie QBs. I think he was 12th in PFF passing grade. Nobody else is over 30. This week, it's Mac Jones compared to the rest of the league, people, because he has been that efficient and just that good. Best graded quarterbacks in terms of pure PFF passing grade this year. Number one's Kyler Murray, two is Kirk Cousins, three Ryan Tannehill, four Tom Brady, five Dak Prescott. Number six, all alone, Mac Jones. McCorkle Jones, Dwayne, sixth highest graded passer after 10 weeks Are you doing anything with him in fantasy? That's the question. No, like, but I, you, you know, we want to give credit. Want to give credit where credit's due. This is I a fantasy know, podcast, yeah, but, Dwayne. Yeah, but... people don't care. They just want to know if you're going to start him next weekend. Come on. Wow. Wow, Dwayne. <laughs> Steelers Sorry, 16. Steelers. See what happens whenever I have to do some manual labor. Come on. 
Steelers 16, Lions 16. That's right, a freaking tie, and it was as ugly as you would imagine. Detroit covered as six-point dogs. The under cashed at 40 and a half points. So, um, yeah, just the overtime. Deontay Johnson fumbled, and then, like, right when he kind of helped get them in a position to win the game again, Pat Fryermuth fumbled, and that was between the Lions missing a field goal as well. So neither of these teams deserved to win, so neither of them did win. Gotta love when that happens. Both quarterbacks just absolutely horrendous. Neither Mason Rudolph nor Jared Goff could average even five yards per attempt in this one. I mean, for the Steelers, like Najee got by on his rushing. Deontay had some cool yak moments, but again, it just wasn't really enough for either guy to fulfill the expectations that we were hoping for against the freaking Detroit Lions. So, you know, Najee, he did get over 100 rushing yards. He had a short rushing touchdown nullified by a holding penalty. I'm sure if Najee was on your fantasy team, you would say it was a bad call. I thought it was okay. Either way, sheesh for that. And with Deontay Johnson, could have been a bigger uh, day. He had actually, we saw the drops kind of start to rear their ugly head in this one. One went right through his hands that I'm sure, sure will be chalked up to him. Later, they had a free play. Mason Rudolph threw one of his better balls of the day. And Deontay got called for OPI. And then he let the ball just hit him in the stomach and wasn't able to come down with it. So, again, not Deontay's best day. Still finished with 83 yards and seven catches, though. Coming into this game, he was the wide receiver 11 in PPR points per game, even though I admit, like, it has been fairly underwhelming over the course of a large portion of the season. Gotta love what volume can do for a guy's floor. Elsewhere on the Steelers, I mean, the big note was that Ray Ray McLeod had 12 targets out of freaking nowhere, and that's why James Washington, even though he had the early touchdown from Mason Rudolph, he just couldn't really put together a huge day. We did see Fryermuth still have nine targets. Eric Ebron was out there. Uh, we'll get the specifics on that in a little bit, but at least that pass game usage was promising for the rookie. Hopefully that late game fumble doesn't do too much to hurt his usage down the stretch. With the Lions, yeah, Jared Goff, again, just absolutely brutal. He had a chance to hit Khalif Raymond for a long touchdown early, had a clean pocket, golf through it a good 10 feet over the guy's head. So par for the course. We just can't trust these receivers. And apparently, Dwayne, sometimes we can't even trust TJ Hawkinson. How you play a 70-minute ball game and only throw the ball at TJ Hawkinson one time, that should be illegal in all 50 states, including Puerto Rico. So I just absolutely, you know, hate what I'm seeing from this box score. The one good thing that happened, and even this was somewhat tilting, was DeAndre Swift. 33 carries, number three catches, 135 total yards, zero touchdowns, which I get it. We're not used to seeing Lions guys score touchdowns, but the two backups, Jamar Jefferson and Goblin, I can't pronounce your last name. I'm sorry, bro. Five carries combined for 107 yards and two touchdowns on their own. Kudos to the Detroit Lions offensive line for really opening up big holes all game long. But honestly, DeAndre Swift was playing a lot better too. I've, Dwayne, on our breakdown pods, I talked about how Swift, in terms of yards after contact per carry, in terms of missed tackles per carry, really has arguably been the worst running back in the league in those metrics. Tied for a week high with seven missed tackles forced in this one. So Swift was out there. He jumped over a guy at one point. I love the hurdle. Got to be the single hardest thing uh, to pull off in terms of just missed tackles in professional football. And that was a lot of fun to see. So I think that's most of my points. Uh, Mason Rudolph randomly had a 26-yard run where he reversed field. That, that was pretty cool. And that was, I think, the 
only time, maybe ever again, that I will say anything Mason Rudolph did was pretty cool. So thank you, Mason, for that one play. Otherwise, what a uh, pretty, pretty terrible game, Dwayne. But let's talk about that Detroit Lions uh, running back usage because no Jamal Williams again. I would note that Jamar Jefferson, he had that touchdown run, and then he got carted off the sideline with the ankle injury. So they still had Godwin in there. But Dwayne, I mean, at least from these counting stats, it sure looks like Swift was a true three-down workhorse in this one. Yeah, he was the every down back. 85% of the rushing attempts, 93% of the snaps, 91% of the routes, uh, 100% of the short down and distance, 100% of the long down distance, 100% of the two-minute offense, 26% target share, targeted on 23% of his routes. And like you mentioned, like he actually played really well. If you looked at him today, he forced a missed tackle on 21%. You know, if you divide missed tackle, it's not exact, but missed tackles forced divided by attempts, 21%. If you look at his explosive run rate, which is 10 yards or more, 15% on the day, yards after contact, 2.82. And this is a, this is against a good run defense, right, with the Steelers. So it was good to see Swift get going. Early on, it looked kind of flukish. Like, you know, he got the edge on, on a really bad pursuit angle, you know, by one of the defensive ends and one of the linebackers where they just sealed them off and it was like oh okay great they he, he was given you know a perfect running lane he took it and that's actually the play that he had the hurdle on which was which was really sweet but later in the game actually some of his you know i'm sorry jacoby Brissett, i'm going to use this word for someone else he actually had a couple of kind of like gritty runs in between the tackles you know where he looked pretty solid um seemed a little bit more confident about himself i did get to see quite a bit of this game you know, towards, you know, the third and fourth quarter of it. So um, I was I was excited about what I saw with Swift. Harris, obviously everybody knows on the opposite side of the ball, Najee Harris gets the ball all the time. 87% of the rushing attempts. They have been spelling him a little bit more, but he is a true every down back. So you feel good about that. Yeah, on Deontay Johnson, man, it's funny. Um, you know, I did move him down the ranks this morning with Ben being out just because of like that simpatico relationship that they have, Ian. But still, I mean, 27% of the targets went to Deontay today. 25% went to Ray, Ray McLeod. The third, not the second, not the first, the third, Ray, Ray McLeod. Good job today. So 25% of the targets going to him. Pat Fryermuth, you already mentioned, yes, did see a reduction in the routes, which we were worried about with Eric Ebron coming back. Yes, Zach Gentry did still snaps the week before, but Gentry's really out there just to block, folks. He's not out there to run routes. When Eric Ebron is out there, if you've ever watched Eric Ebron, not a blocker. He's out there to run routes. So that actually did take away a little bit. Only 57% of the routes today for Fryermuth, but man, 29% targets per route run. So when he's out there, they still want to get him involved. He was third on the team in targets with 19%. So uh, you know, you could get worse things, but Fryermuth really is a kind of mid-range tight end two that you're hoping for the score to get you into that low-end tight end one conversation each week, you know, Ian, until we see, you know, Eric Ebron really just, you know, not a factor. So for me, Fryermuth, yeah, I mean, he looked okay today. I like the talent, but don't like the fact that he's having to rotate as much as he is. And Mason Rudolph, good God, like, I, I'll just leave it at that. Mason Rudolph, good God, and I'll stop. There were times where Ben was bad enough that we were like, hey, I mean, can we go to Mason? It can't be much worse. The only good thing for Mason Rudolph today is he was playing Jared Goff. <laughs> and that actually made him look better. It actually came. Looking at Jared Goff's box score, and I'm like, 30 yards. 30 yards still. Like, how can this be possible? Like, we're in the third quarter. How can somebody have 30 yards? Sorry, Ian. Go. Take no, it away. Yeah, not only did Big Ben see, like, one quarterback who's on his team be worse than him, but he even got to see the other team's quarterback be worse uh, for a change. But, yeah, shout out Ray Ray McLeod. A lot of people don't realize he is the son of uh, the world savior, Fox McLeod. So, shout out to Fox, Slippy, Peppy, and Falco and the gang saving the world back on N64 in the day. With these 
these injuries, though, mentioned Big Ben and COVID, Jamar Jefferson with the ankle injury, and also just some Steelers defensive issues. TJ Watt had a hip injury and Joe Hayden with the foot. So again, people, like I understand that playing against the Steelers, we're used to them being a true juggernaut on defense, but when your offense can't keep the ball, and now if you're losing some of your, your true blue chip talents, we shouldn't be you know, really afraid to fire up guys against the Steelers defense moving ahead in 2021. PFF Lily stat is for DeAndre Swift. Five total forced missed tackles on carries in weeks one through nine combined. Today, he had seven, also averaged a season high, 2.8 yards after contact per attempt. Still his second year in the league. People are allowed to get better. Great to see DeAndre having truly maybe his single best game of the year as a rusher. Bills beat down the Jets 45 to 17. Buffalo covered as a 13 and a half point favorite. Overhit at 48 and a half. This was the one game we did not have our, on our PFF Octo box, so I didn't get a full you know survey of it. But I tried the best I can, people. And really, what I did notice was that Josh Allen, we got the good version of him. Just an efficient god in this one. 21 for 28, 366 yards, two touchdowns with just a single pick, and he got it, Dwayne. We were wondering when, not if, when the Stephon Diggs break out game was going to happen and it was week 10 eight catches 162 yards and a score on 13 targets the score was pretty and even prettier was a 57 yard catch down the sideline threw his hand up five yards downfield like a prime randy moss got the ball made big things happen with it and hey gabriel davis three catches 105 yards why not there was nobody else on the bills that had more than three targets other than Diggs, who again had 13 so this one like it's just surprising to see really only one high-end fantasy before i guess with Allen too but like two high-end fantasy performances come out of this game because the rushing touchdowns were a complete mess like Dwayne I know you swore off of Bill's running backs last week and you knew this was going to be a tough week facing the Jets league worst defense and fantasy points per game allowed the position this is probably all the fuel you need like to never touch these guys again because Zach Moss had a rushing touchdown Devin Singletary had a rushing touchdown oh let's make sure Matt Breida is active too and get him both a rushing and receiving score on his own so that's a huge problem. If we have Matt Breida coming in and making this a three-back committee, like, that's not good. And maybe they're going to say that he was here because Zach Moss was coming off the concussion protocol, which is, like, my least favorite excuse of any from these coaches in terms of workload. The guy is coming off a concussion. He's either good to go or he's not. This isn't like an ankle, man. So, I don't know. We'll see that they make that a real excuse sometimes. So, it could be why Breida was active after he wasn't for weeks. But it's one of these things where if we see the Sunday actives and actives come in week 11 and like we have Zach Moss as RB 24, 25 kind of where he's been over the past uh, month or so. If Matt Breed is active he is going down into mid-tier RB 3 territory if not further. So that is the impact. Volume is already scarce enough in this Bills backfield we cannot have three backs in there. Clock struck midnight on Mike White's Cinderella story. We had the one of the funniest tweets I think I've seen from Ian Rapport this morning talking about how, you know, Mike White, if he keeps playing well, it's his job. And it's not that Zach Wilson isn't the future. He's the future. But you can have two great quarterbacks. If Mike White is great too, then they're happy about that. Well, Mike White was not great. Four interceptions in this one, 5.7 yards per attempt. Of course, you got Ty Johnson, his five catches. You got Michael Carter, four catches as well. But yeah, people, it was, was always a situation that was really fun for a week but Mike White truly is just checking the ball down as much as possible and this was an impossible spot against the Bills league best defense and EPA allowed per play at least we did see Michael Carter though find the end zone as a rusher and get back to producing some big time fantasy numbers for us so we're feeling good about Michael Carter 
Dwayne, the problem is this receiver room because Corey Davis came back in. He had 93 yards, which was nice. Elijah Moore caught a touchdown from Joe Flacco in relief. But once again, man, we had nine different Jets have between three and eight targets. Like, I want to get behind Elijah Moore. I believe in the talent. I still think Corey Davis is really good. But with this sort of usage, man, it's just a, it's a really tough game. Yeah, man, it, it's, it's, uh, it's confusing like to just average people. I know you're not an average person, but I am in like, just like, like watching this, like, it's like, come on, like, how can Elijah Moore not be out there more only out there for 55% of the routes. So we were, we thought maybe Corey Davis coming back. They're just like, okay, we're going to go Davis, Elijah Moore. We want to run 11. We'll get Crowder on the field. No, 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 Ian. We've got to have Keelan Cole involved. We've got to have Braxton Berrios. Braxton Berrios needs snaps. You know, I mean, his mom writes the team every week. Jeff Smith, his uncle, writes the team each week. He needs snaps. He's got to be out there. Um, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say. Elijah Moore did come through for folks. I mean, six targets, three receptions, 44 yards. Gets the touchdown again. Um, you know, targets per route run, again, good, 20%. You know, but only out there, you know, enough to get 12% of the targets. Uh, total for the team. So yeah, 55% of the routes. Corey Davis was out there for 84% of the routes. Jamison Crowder was out there for 83%. And then you really had Elijah Moore rotating with Keelan Cole, who was out there 42% versus 56%. So when you're in an offense like this, that isn't very good. I mean, basically you're banking on a big play, which Elijah Moore has come through like for, you know, fantasy owners four weeks in a row now, you know, finishing in the, he'll finish in the top 36 receivers probably on this performance again. And so he's come through, but it, it does worry you. It's like, okay, like this can't keep happening every single week, but the player does look good. So we'll just have to continue to monitor it. You know, just hope that, you know, the coaches grow new brain cells between now and next week. It does happen. Like if you let your brain recover, you can actually get, you know, there is a recovery period. So we'll see what happens with the Jets coaching staff. As far as the Bills go, Dawson Knox was back in this one, Ian. Didn't come up in the box score, but encouraging, you know, from a utilization standpoint, 84% of the snaps, 71% of the routes. We'd like to see him closer to 80%. But we've seen what Knox can do. So, like, we know that that is there. It's, it's within his range of outcomes. So let's give him another week to be healthy. You already hit on Stefan Diggs, but, yeah, dominated everything. 46% target share, 45% targets per route run. 57% of the air yards, 5.59 yards per route run. That's probably pretty good, Ian. I don't know, you know, a lot about fantasy football, but I know that yards per route run over two is good, and a 5.59 is probably really freaking kick-ass. Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, Matt Breda. Matt Breda, you got to have – I love Matt Breda. You love Matt Breda. We all love Matt Breda. You got to get him involved. He was only out there 14% of the snaps. And he did all of this on that. That's what's so crazy. He scores two touchdowns, uh, 60% targets per route run. So, you know, he's as good once as he ever was. Like when he's out there, you got to get Matt Breda the ball. Uh, so good for him this week. But yeah, to your point, really, like if this becomes a three-way backfield, like, look, it was already a mess. Like on a team that likes to pass the ball in every situation, it's got a quarterback that can run the ball in, you know, really kind of from anywhere, but especially once you get inside the five, now you've got three backs. It's just, eh, I don't, I think we were already here, but I'm done. I'm, and I didn't touch the bill. I, I just want to congratulate myself that I did not go back to the Zach Mosswell today, mostly just because I could use Ramondre Stevenson or Mark Ingram, not because I really have any sort of willpower, but I was able to get away from Zach Moss because of those two players. Uh, but I'm done. I'm done with the Bills backfield, man. 
Yeah, I mean, I hope he didn't touch him in DFS. I didn't know that I was even touch a him. consideration. Touch him. You really do have a didn't sick problem, him. you sicko. Uh, yeah, <laughs> with, with Breida, man, like, it's not even about them using him. He can definitely – it's like Isaiah McKenzie in this offense. Like, they have a role they can be good at. Matt Breida had the single fastest time with the ball in his hands in 2019 per next-gen stats. Like, we saw him do some good things with the 49ers just when this offense is, you know – as crowded as it can be at times already, we don't want a third running back in the picture. Dwayne, we're not worried about Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. Still every week, wide receiver threes. Just a matter of Stephon Diggs taking over this one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're good. They're out there. They're doing their thing. It's just you got three guys to feed, you know, sometimes four with Knox, and you're in a blowout situation. Just, you know, when you get into that kind of game script, like somebody's going to be left out. Honestly, like Beasley and Sanders managers, you guys should be happy that it took until week 10 for something like this uh, to yeah, happen for both. Yeah, so. I agree. PFF Lily stat is for Josh Allen. Every week I do my QB predictions uh, for the upcoming one. And for Josh Allen last week, it was basically what I used to have for Jameis for, before he got hurt. He's either going to be really freaking good or really freaking bad because that's what we've seen from Josh this year. In week one, he was PFF's 16th highest graded passer among all guys with 10 plus dropbacks. But since then, he's either been top 10 or outside the top 24. So week two, 30th, then third, then 24th. First, seventh, tenth, week nine, 24th. This week with a 93.0 grade, number two on the week, only behind Mac Jones. Credit to Josh Allen. Again, man, like, you know, we were talking about this on the NFL show a little bit uh, before the slate actually started, but like, with Allen, he has regressed compared to last year, just like Mahomes has, maybe not severely as Mahomes, but the difference has been the Bills' defense becoming a juggernaut, whereas the Chiefs, you know, can barely hold down most offenses to 30 points uh, or fewer. Probably they'll shut down the Raiders tonight. As you are listening to this on Monday morning, so that might sound dumb, but you guys know what I'm trying to say. I still think the best version of this Bills team involving a great Josh Allen with their newfound defense, probably the most complete team in the AFC. Now we've seen the Chiefs when Mahomes is at his best still overcome maybe more complete teams. Either way, let's see what this Bills team can do in January and beyond with their entire squad firing on all cylinders. Cowboys massacred the Falcons 43-3, covering as a 7.5-point favorite, the undercashed at 55. That's got to be a rough under ticket to be holding in this one, only getting the three points from the Falcons. Godspeed to any of you listeners that are going through that. Dak Prescott, just really brilliant from the start in this one. His second touchdown to CeeDee Lamb I thought was particularly unbelievable. He was like off his back foot, basically fading away, somehow found a way to put this thing only where CeeDee could get it in the end zone, just hitting him in stride. So great game from Dak and CD just dominated we told you guys all week most unrealized areas in week nine why do we tell you that because it's a good sign that they're still getting high-end volume even during a dud what happened this week 94 yards two catches six catches two touchdowns on seven targets so great game from CD Lamb he did suffer an arm contusion just a bruise certainly seemed like something that's more on the hey we're blowing these guys out don't worry about a CD versus he could miss actual time obviously something to keep an eye on though as the week goes on Zico Elliott pounded his way in for two touchdowns and other than that it wasn't a huge game for all these Cowboys we did see Michael Gallup come back and uh, get involved he looked good out there Amari Cooper had a couple nice plays particularly this uh, he 
caught a seam down the middle. Looked like he was going to take a big hit from the safety. Took it, absorbed it, and got some yak and stiff-armed the guy along the way. So it was good to see Cooper showing off some of that yak part of his game. I know when he's playing as banged up as he is, uh, we don't always get to see just how dynamic he can be when everything is right. So, yeah, what we say after last week, Dwayne, let's forget about this Cowboys game. We did, and now they're back to putting up 40 on the Falcons. So great game from Dak and company. You're going to continue to love to have pretty much anybody in this offense on your fantasy squad. Only guy that disappointed was Dalton Schultz. Just two targets, caught one of them for 14 yards. But the other target, man, likely should have been a 13-yard touchdown catch. Yeah. He had some real nice wiggle to get open down the seam. I'm not sure. Like, he did seem to kind of slow down a little bit. The ball was barely Stick beyond. and nod, Ian. Stick and Stick nod. Stick and nod. Okay, okay. You and your you and your little terminology on I me. Mean, okay. But uh, with Dalton uh, Schultz, like. Yeah, I figured you yeah. just that was just like some Madden term that you knew. No, that makes sense. I, yeah, that's the sick and not real. Yeah, okay. We're on the same page now. We're on the same page now. Uh, with Schultz, so yeah, better ball, touchdown. If you want to blame it on Schultz, not quite getting there. If you want to blame it on Dak, not putting the ball right on him, just realize there was a 13-yard touchdown to be had that unfortunately they could not come down with it. Uh, Falcons just could not get anything going here. 214 total yards of offense. Matt Ryan did not play the fourth quarter in this one. Look, Trayvon Diggs got his eighth pick of the year absolute madness say what you want about the guy giving up a bunch of passing yards penalties touchdowns whatever eight interceptions from one guy is completely insane and i'm not saying he should win defensive mvp after some of the lows that we've seen after like a more or less lights out first half of the year either way guys trayvon diggs playing some great football and the cowboys blocked another punt two weeks in a row gotta love the special teams going on in dallas but yeah with the falcons ryan was just under so much pressure all game which was surprising they didn't even have randy gregory in this one, I'm almost inclined, Dwayne, to take the same route we did with the Cowboys last week and forget that this game happened with the Falcons. But unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be that easy because our guy, our savior, our number one, quarter arrow Patterson, high ankle sprain, not looking good. We'll see what it looks like coming out of the week. But typically with these high ankle sprains, it is a multi-week injury. So no, it is not a happy uh, evening at the household residence tonight. I will begin to light up this candle and only hope that Cordero can get back to good health sooner rather than later. In his absence, you know, we would expect Kyle Pitts to get fed even more than usual. In this game, he had seven targets. Elamide Zacchaeus had seven targets. Nobody else had more than three. So Pitts, man, I thought he was on his way to a big game he probably had like three catches of 15 yards in the first like five or ten minutes of action just wasn't a good day for the Falcons offense so Dwayne I guess the big question here that we're gonna likely be talking about again on the waiver wire uh, edition of this podcast Monday afternoon you guys can always catch it on Tuesday though is what to make of this backfield if Cordero Patterson is going to be out because Wayne Gallman came out and had 15 carries Mike Davis only had four with that said we again had so much garbage time in this offense were you able to get in the early splits on the Gallman Mike Davis split before this game was completely out of hand yeah, I was actually looking at that, and I mean, it, it, it looks like it is going more to Gallman, but like, it's it's one of these things where it's tough to say, like, this is exactly like the direction I would go. But I, I do find it interesting, like, though, you know, with Corderell Patterson dealing with the injury that he had, and I know it was a blowout, but that Mike Davis couldn't get, you know, more, you know, so, and, and Gallman, you know, I know it was in mop-up duty, but like, he just has something that like, I haven't seen from Mike Davis. So I am starting to lean more to the Gallman side of things. And it just hasn't worked for Mike Davis all year. I mean, so well, I'll dig into it more. Like I'll have some more on it in the utilization report. But like when I 
when I took my initial glance at this, looking at it, doing it, I didn't do it drive by drive, which I'll do tomorrow for the utilization report, but just looking at it quarter by quarter and looking at it as the starters started to come out, like I still kind of leaned to Wayne Gallman and what I saw, you know, and it's enough just to be scared. Like Mike Davis, like can anything ever like actually be a break that actually benefits this player? It seems like everything that we think is actually going to benefit him doesn't. Um, and now we get an event, you know, that surely like would mean that we would like Mike Davis more, but I'm still, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm out. I think I'm out on Mike Davis. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It's like, man, we're at like at week 10. Like, come on, Mike Davis. In this like, situation, we're not out when the situation changes, Dwayne. You know, you know, context matters. You know that. Uh, yeah, dude. It's just like, come on, man. Like you showed off your pictures of your huge quads, like in preseason. And like, here we are today, you know, like and it's going to be the Wayne Gallman show. Um, Dalton Schultz really quick. Just, you know, we talked about this multiple times, Ian, that like getting Michael Gallup back was a concern. For Dalton Schultz and Dalton Schultz early in the season targets per route run were really high even though he wasn't getting to see the routes that we wanted well then we had Blake Jarwin leave and we knew he was going to be around 80 percent of the routes which he was actually at this last week but the return of Michael, of, uh, Michael Gallup did hurt 15 percent target share to Gallup 21 percent um, to Pollard 21 percent to CeeDee Lamb 12 percent to Amari Cooper and only six percent to Dalton Schultz, that that can change. Like to your point, Schultz did play. You know, he could have had a touchdown on on the route where he did he did a nice job in the back of the end zone. You know, he totally got the defender to bite outside, came back inside, and Dak just barely overshot him. So just a little bit of a you know a miscue by Dak there. It really wasn't on Schultz. I mean, it was it was too far you know yeah. over him for him to make any kind of play on the ball unless he was like Calvin Johnson. So <laughs> we'll see what happens with it. But this is something I was a little bit concerned about. You get back, it's actually a concern like for all the offense. And I'll actually have to look into this more tomorrow, too, just exactly when we really, you know, when CeeDee Lamb left the lineup in. Um, he didn't play any in the fourth quarter. He was only out there for 58% of the routes, but a lot of that was due to the blowout. Some of that was due to the arm contusion that you talked about. So Gallup did remain in the game. Amari Cooper played some of the fourth quarter, but mostly they went away. They got Noah Brown, Malik Turner, these other guys in there. Obviously, once Cooper Rush was in the game, a lot of these starters were out. So I've got to go back and dig deeper into the Cowboys' utilization as well. But just a quick call out on Dalton Schultz. I do think that that's, this is a downgrade for him. I think he's back into that low-end tight end one, high-end tight end two range just because there's multiple mouths to feed. Before we were kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt, putting him at like, you know, ahead of all of those guys, I agree with you. He's going to be right there in the thick of it. Hey, still not the worst thing in the world. Blake Jarwin is still on IR. It's not like you can't start Schultz moving forward, but the days of, you know, thinking of him as this weekly potential top five tight end that he was for a little bit, almost certainly over with Michael Gallup back in the fold. Mentioned the CD and Cordero Patterson injuries. Also, Hayden Hurst got ruled out mid-game with an ankle issue. Are already seeing Kyle Pitts get plenty of usage, but just something to keep in mind for Atlanta. PFF Lily stat does go to CD Lamb, who this year trails only the Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup in PFF receiving grade. Like, he, you know, Dwayne, as someone that did have like Amari over um, CD, I had, let's see, I had Amari wide receiver 11 and I had CD wide receiver 12 the entire summer. So I was high on both these guys, but I did have Amari over because the numbers we had seen with them with Dak under center was more volume for Amari. But if I could just know what I know now and go back then, no injuries for Coop to worry about and just see how damn good CD looks, it'd be impossible to you know make that same decision. So CD does have the look of just the next alpha at the position. And it's amazing that we got him and Justin Jefferson in the same damn class, obviously playing plenty of other great guys coming out too. It's a fun time to be a fan of football, particularly at the wide receiver position.
Titans took down the Saints. 23-21. This game sucked. Saints covered as a three-point dog, <laughs> overcashed at 42.5. Depending on where you got it, it was kind of all over the place. I know uh, Dr. Eric Eager of PFF was pitching it under 44.5, so that was a good uh, line to get it at, obviously. But yeah, A.J. Brown, our king, one catch, four targets, one rush. No Derrick Henry, no Julio Jones. You know, whatever. We'll see when we can get AJB the ball. So, yeah, I could have made more use of his spare opportunities. Just frustrating to see someone that really is one of the kings of yak in the NFL. And he can do so much more than that. But just not find a way to design him the ball more. Taking nothing away from Marcus Johnson, who, hey, Dwayne, you know, if, if I wanted to be one of those people that likes to dig up, you know, your June or July tweet or 30 seconds from a podcast here, say, look how right I was. I said at one point that Marcus Johnson might be the second best wide receiver on the Titans. So let this, uh, you know, 10 weeks into the year after all these other guys got taken out of the picture, show all you haters about my Marcus Johnson belief. But Marcus Johnson, 100 catches, and I mentioned those six targets. So long of 50 in this one. He almost scored a touchdown. He got taken down just short of the goal line, so that was unfortunate. Could have been an even bigger day, uh, but again, credit to Marcus Johnson. He is looking like the wide receiver, not even necessarily to own outside of A.J. Brown because we are going to see other guys more involved on in a week-to-week basis. One week it's Chester Rock. Rodgers, one week it's Nick Westbrook, Akia. The other week it's Marcus Johnson. We got the tight ends there too. Akini. There we go. Thank you, Dwayne. That's what you're here for. Uh, the running backs, the tight ends. We all know how crowded this is in Tennessee. At the end of the day, it really is AJ Brown. We'll live with this downward performance. You know, I got some trolls in the mentions going, oh, it's just been a disappointing year for him. We're two weeks removed away from him going over 130 and scoring a touchdown in back-to-back games. So it will be better for AJB. We knew this was a slightly tougher matchup than, than it looked like on the surface because of them having having Lattimore because of their ability to just bracket AJB all over the field. And that is what we saw. I'd say the more concerning part is that we are now in week two of this backfield committee and it doesn't look too much clearer on the surface. Deontay Foreman probably played the best. He had a nice 39-yard screen, also led the way on the ground with rushing, but Adrian Peterson and Jerry McNichols continue to stay all kinds of involved. On the Saints side, I think Mark Ingram, happy we jammed him in the starting lineups. He he had a nice touchdown run, 13 yards. The play that never works in Madden when you fake it to the fullback and then you you pitch it out wide to the running back. Saints ran in real life, and it worked like uh, worked like it was designed to. So that was fun to see. And he also caught like a 34-yard wheel route in this one. So Ingram, because on Madden, looking, like all the the AI is smart enough to know fullbacks don't matter. Yeah, like real real right. people don't know this. They have to fill the, They have to they have to have their run fits Ian. Tennessee Titans got to have their run fits. Uh, But yes, um, as I lose my spot here, Mark Ingram had a nice 34-yard catch on a wheel, not looking washed by uh, any stretch of the imagination. Marcus Callaway, Traquan Smith both caught short touchdowns. The Saints had a chance to tie this game at the end. Unfortunately, everyone's favorite June-July best ball tight end, Adam Troutman, had a false start from the two-yard line on the two-point conversion and forced them to move back. So once again, Trevor Simeon, the starter, once again, you can make the same argument that Sean Payton made that Simeon wasn't bad, but you could see the lack of playmakers around him kind of holding back this offense. Kevin White in particular had a chance for a chunk game. He just couldn't come down with it. So Dwayne, like I think they should go with Taysom Hill, but they're not going with Taysom Hill. They have a $140 million void void whatever, but they could do that and go with Taysom and try to see if he has 
it. Apparently, they've seen all they need to see in practice. So until Taysom is given this job, which who knows if that will even happen, Mark Ingram or Alvin Kamara, whoever is active, is the only viable fantasy person in this offense. It's a shame. We'll see Deontay Harris catch a long one every couple weeks. He had one today for 46 yards, but that's ultimately the way things are. So with that in mind, Dwayne, if you have more to add in the Saints, that's great. But I think the main thing we have here is just Mark Ingram being the workhorse in Kamara's absence. Let's talk about this Titans backfield first, though, because again, a lot of people spent a lot of money on Adrian Peterson and old Fab Streets, and it's looking like this is slightly Deontay Foreman's job at the moment. Yeah, it's really a three-way split. I mean, 35, so here are the snaps. Deontay Foreman, 35%. Adrian Peterson, 33%. And 27% to Jeremy McNichols. If you look at the routes per pass play, obviously you would think McNichols would be the highest. No, Adrian Peterson is at 31%. McNichols at 28%. And Deontay Foreman at 19%. But then rushing, like you just mentioned, Deontay Foreman, 39%. 29% to Adrian Peterson. 14% to Jeremy McNichols. Um, long down and different long down and distance um, snaps did go to McNichols targets per route run you know McNichols is, is definitely involved he was at 12 percent of the targets 38 percent you know targets per route run that is where Deontay Foreman also did get involved they had a couple of design things for him they had a couple of screen plays some different things some different looks 33 percent targets per route run but yeah it does look like Foreman is slightly in the lead but really it just looks like a big situation that we want to pretty much avoid even though we know the Titans are willing to run the ball um, in all situations this just a situation where, like, if you got to split it across, across the three, and Tannehill snuck another touchdown in yeah. you know, from inside the two-yard line, so they're fine, like, letting him get in there because he's got to do that little, like, you know, layup flip thing. That's like, why I don't get mad, Dwayne. Like, if it was Carson Wentz sneaking in, like, I'd have something to say. But when Tannehill does that finger roll, I'm like, okay, that's pretty <laughs> Once cool. he does that, you're like, oh, okay, it's okay. It's okay, yeah. And yeah, there's something. Yeah, I, I got you. Um, so, so, yeah, it's just a mess. Um, that is really it from this game. Marcus Johnson only out there for 63% of the routes, did have a nice day, came through, but he's really not out there enough for us to trust. Like for a receiver, we need 80, 95% of the routes. And so 63% really just means, oh, next week we can look up and it'll be one of the other players, you know, really coming through. Quickly on Ingram, he did see like a great role, like out there 85% of the snaps, 60% of the routes, like that's elite, 67% of the rushing attempts. 100% 100% of the short down distance, um, 93% of the long down distance, 100% of the two minute offense all went to Mark Ingram. So as long as Alvin Kamara is out, I think you can look at Mark Ingram. I mean, that utilization says low end RB1 because we know the talent isn't quite where it once was, but we know it is an offense with Sean Payton. He knows how to get what he wants out of Mark Ingram. You know, had over 100 total yards today, you know, involved in, in all facets of the game. So Ingram, a player that we thought, God, we would not want anything to do with. Isn't that funny how fantasy football works, Ian? Like on the Texans, and you get a trade, and guess what? Now you're part of the low-end RB1 conversation. Welcome to the club, Mark Ingram the second. Yeah, I always love trying to piss off the you know zero RB people on uh, Twitter because I think they're a little pompous sometimes, Dwayne, if I do say so (laughs) myself. You know, I think they celebrate injuries a little bit more than just about any um, fantasy football crowd out there. So I just brought up the point like, hey, look at uh, Mark Ingram. You know, this is why everyone was drafting him to get Alvin Kamara's direct backup uh, back in those uh, June, July best ball drafts, right? This is why no one was taking Latavius Murray. We all saw ahead to get Mark Ingram because he would then get uh, released or traded or whatever the hell happened to get him back in New Orleans. But whatever, enough of that. I got to keep 
things positive here. And I am not going to do that, though, with this PFF Lowy stat because things have gone downhill without Derrick Henry in this offense. He matters in weeks one through eight with Derrick Henry. The Titans were eighth in the NFL with plus .037 EPA per play. Weeks nine through 10, they have fallen to 19th minus .139 EPA per play. Not great, Dwayne. It's hurting the run game. It's hurting the pass game. And right now, I think the Titans, despite them still winning, are in a situation where they got to figure out some way to more consistently move the ball as long as Derrick Henry is going to be out. Colts took down the Jaguars 23-17. to Jacksonville did cover as a 10.5-point dog, under-cashed at 48 points. Jaguars had the ball, and they were starting to drive down the field. Unfortunately, Trevor Lawrence lost a fumble, and we haven't had a ton of nice things to say about Trevor Lawrence, but I have seen some, you know, true kind of QB foam grinders smarter than myself talk about how it's just been almost impossible to really grade him this year, because the few times he does make great throws, he's not really getting helped out by his receivers, who did enter Sunday with PFF's worst team-wide receiving grade. And we saw more examples of that, Dwayne. Like, as I'm writing these, uh, as I'm watching these games, I'm always typing out notes and questions I can try to quantify and follow up on. And one of them for the Jaguars was just like, let's see which quarterback has the most incompletions this year on big-time throws because that's what it feels like with Trevor Lawrence. He'll make these awesome throws downfield and just time and time again, his receivers are not able to come down with it. So still making plenty of mistakes on his own. He's taking some sacks. He's not by far a finished project or anything but we do still see those number one overall pick flashes at least a couple times a game and now we also see flashes from none other than Jamal Swagnew, who I'll call that because he scored a touchdown. But come on, man, just change your number. You're not a special teams guy anymore. You're now inexplicably the Percy Harvin and Urban Myers NFL offense. So let's get you a number that's not 39. Either way, 66-yard rush. Like, Trevor, man, you got to learn that veteran move, that pop pass move to go get you that passing yards because it was a pure handoff. Jamal Agnew took 66 yards to the house pretty easy the entire way. He also uh, chipped in. Oh, he didn't catch a pass had five targets though so there we go LaVisca Chanel you know it looked like Agnew was gonna be banged up for a minute so it's like hold on we might be three or four injuries away from Visca season again but no <laughs> unfortunately could not quite get there even though Chanel had a team high eight targets caught just three of them for 15 yards another scoreless performance from Marvin Jones under 50 yards once again the only guy that we can truly feel confident about in this passing game is Dan Arnold who came through at five catches 67 yards and he caught a two-point conversion and this one was also good to see James Robinson back in action, scored a goal line touchdown, 12 carries, 57 yards, and also chipped in four receptions. So Carlos Hyde, just two carries in this one. Even though they were getting Agnew three carries, LaVisca two carries, clearly Robinson is the undisputed lead back, and I would imagine that he might even get more of those total carries in the future. Either way, it's good to see that's not another pure running back uh, doing the taking. Big star of this game, though, was just Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I thought he might go for 600 yards after the first quarter, man. It just seems like every time he gets the ball, it's almost a miracle they get him to the ground. The speed and the power. I mean, I was looking up those next-gen stats uh, a couple minutes ago to try to find the Breida stat. And in 2021, Jonathan Taylor owns the top two fastest times for a ball carrier with the ball in his hands. I'm not saying he's the fastest guy in the NFL. I'm sure Tyreek and Mecole and these other guys would beat him with no pads on or anything. 
The fact that we can have a conversation about that, though, tells you just how scary Jonathan Taylor is. Tied with our guy DeAndre Swift with a weak high seven missed tackles forced on carries. The only like negative with him was his inability to get more going in the pass game. Once again, we had Marlon Mack um, as a healthy scratch. But in this one, Jonathan Taylor, eight targets, but caught six of them for just 10 yards. So really, it could have been a massive, massive game. Credit to the Jaguars for stopping Taylor in his tracks as a receiver, at least in this one, because, you know, Naeem Hines only had four targets there. It is good to see them getting Taylor this much pass game involvement, and that sort of involvement with Max sideline will continue to keep Taylor as a weekly top five, if not top three, fantasy back at this point. I think that's pretty much only other note I had on here was that how much I hate Carson Wentz stupid camouflage sleeve I thought he had gotten rid of it but then he brought it back today man so credit to Carson Wentz you know bringing in a newborn that's awesome and he I thought he actually did play a little better than his box score indicated 180 scoreless yards but he wasn't out there turning the ball over and he made some pretty clutch throws on some broken plays we see him try to play hero ball a little too much sometimes but hey pulled, a, pulled out a couple on this one particularly a third and seven late in the fourth where he got the ball to Pittman after he was rolling out and I thought he had nowhere to go except throw it away so credit to Wentz on adding the family member credit to him on largely playing uh, great football this year good football at least better than 2020 football we can all agree on that just lose the stupid freaking camo sleeve for the love of God but that's enough of that Dwayne Jonathan Taylor it's his world we're all just living in it top three like are we top one at this point this guy's incredible yeah and it's just crazy because it could have been so much more like what he had like 93 yards at the end of the first quarter. Yeah. Like and he ends up with <laughs> 116. Like Frank, right, get the hell out of the way, dude. Just get out of the way. Like hand the hand the play sheet over to Jonathan Taylor. Let him walk out <laughs> to the huddle. Just call his own number over and over. Like I don't it's it's amazing, man. Like like these starts we've seen him get off to and how we've seen his coaching staff and like the game script or whatever like derail like this could have been a 200 yard like three touchdown day like and it just didn't end up being that way Credit that's what it Jaguars. looked like in the first 15 minutes oh, exactly. yeah yeah it's it was crazy I, I thought wow like basically this is going to be a slate breaker if you're playing dfs today it's going to be jonathan taylor and with so many people focused on you know dearness johnson and some of the other plays like um you know it could have been a real it could have been something that could have ended up being really valuable i mean he still came through with 27.6 fantasy points but it's one of those games where you're thinking wow like he could put up 40. Um, so yeah, there's not uh, there's not anything huge here um, to hit on. You know, Taylor was out there for 84 percent of the snaps, 53 percent of the routes, 75 percent of the rushing attempts. We did see he, we did see T. Y. Hilton back. He was out there for 72 percent of the routes. Michael Pittman did lead the team um, as far as wide receivers go. Actually, Pascal Pascal was out there on the rascal, 94 percent for him, 92 percent to Michael Pittman who had 16% of the targets. And we've talked about this with Pittman before. before. Like, he's playing really well. Like, I actually posted some stuff on Twitter because on Friday and Saturday about Pittman just because, like, I was even surprised at, like, really how well he's playing. So, like, if you look at, you know, targets over 10 yards down the field, like, he's open when he gets single-man coverage over 63% of the time. That's number one in the NFL. If you look at him against press-man coverage, like, he is just destroying press-man. So, Michael Pittman really growing by leaps and bounds. They didn't need a lot in this game. You know, they can't, it's almost like the Colts got out to a lead and they almost put it in neutral and almost regretted it later because the Jaguars did hang around too long 
long. But I think we'll see better days from Pittman. This just wasn't a big passing game altogether. I mean, you had 180, 180 yards from Wentz, 160, 162 yards from Trevor Lawrence, no touchdown passes in the game. So, you know, it kind of is what it is. Um, you did see LaVisca Chenault a little more involved, in, and I just want to mention him because I think, it, like, for whatever reason, like it, may, it gets you and Brian Drake, like, excited. Y'all get really excited in a bad way about LaVisca Chenault, so I like to just throw it out there. It could have been because Agnew was banged up for a little bit, by the way. <laughs> yeah, 82% of the routes, 21% of the targets. Uh, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter for LaVisca Chenault. You know what he did with that? He came up with eight targets for three receptions and 15 yards, 1.9 yards per target. So, look, like I'm, I'm out on the Chenault train like most people should already be out. But, like, it's just, you know, who knows? We'll come back to it next year. But it, it's just like even when I watch him, Ian, like – He's a rugged player. Like, I like some things about him, but he's just not a game-breaker. And I think that's why they're getting the ball to Agnew, is he has the speed. He can beat these angles. He can do some of these other things they want to do. And not that we think Jamal Agnew is this great player, but I think it it is a bit of an indictment on LaVisca Chenault, like, to be at this point and to have Jamal Agnew getting these design looks and being able to do more with it. Dan Arnold is really, you know, like, he's kind of – he's really stepped up into this high-end tight end two, low, low tight end one kind of conversation. He was out there for 80% of the routes. Um, 24% target share led the team today, you know, for the Jaguars. Not the Jaguars passing attacks a lot to, to write home about it. But Arnold, he's done this enough weeks in a row now that it's like it just kind of is what it is. You already mentioned James Robinson was not completely back. Did look, you know, he looked okay. He, he obviously was the leading point scorer from a fantasy perspective with 18.4 today for the Jaguars. I think we could be next week, though, back to where we want to be with James Robinson. But because before his injury, man, like efficiency and utilization, like honestly, there wasn't a better picture in the league, like of somebody putting both things together like so, so well. And so I'm excited to see James Robinson, you know, get one more week under his belt. Hopefully we get back up to like that true every down back and we see him truly feeling 100% healthy next week. With the Visca, just funny story real quick. I woke up on Friday and had someone go and pull out an old tweet of mine from March where I said that LaVisca Chenault's going to outperform your uh, you know, favorite draft prospect this season. I think I might have said it a little more eloquently. Clearly, that hasn't happened. Uh, but anyway, the person's like, how's this working out? And you know what, Dwayne? In this business, we got to leave ourselves out. So what I say? I said he's going to perform your favorite draft, outperform your favorite draft prospect. So my answer depends on who your favorite draft prospect was. <laughs> So, who was your favorite draft prospect, sir? Chestnut <laughs> yeah, yeah. checkers uh, from this guy. So look out before <laughs> you uh, come with the king you best not miss. But anyway, with our Jonathan Taylor as the recipient of our PFF Lily stat, he is literally, again, like we might not need, we don't, I don't think we need more than one hand at this point to rank him among the league's best no. real-life talents. Sure doesn't look that way with the metrics. PFF rushing grade, 90.4 over the past two seasons. That only trails the king himself, Derrick Henry, number three in yards per carry, number three in first down touchdown rate. Jonathan Taylor is doing everything that his biggest stands and believers said he would do, which is be one of the truly best running backs in the NFL. Going into this week, he was the number one running back in fantasy points above expectation. And now with these targets, with these rush attempts, we are finally seeing him get that role that we believe he deserves. Like that's like Dwayne, what you're saying about Frank Reich, like he's given him enough touches to still be this great producer and great fantasy player. But when you're as freaking good as Taylor, like, you know, sorry, but we want more. So isn't it weird? Like, you're just kind of like, oh, man, he's doing so good. Ah, let's get him off the field. Let's get him off the field. Like, I just don't get it. It blows my mind. 
I know you got to keep the guys healthy and look out for their health, but at some point, you got Jonathan freaking Taylor feeding the rock. They are doing it good enough, and credit to the Colts for getting their win. You know, we're just a bunch of fancy guys. Always want more volume, more volume, more volume. Football team took down the Buccaneers 29 to 19. Tom Brady's kryptonite is apparently Taylor Heineke. Washington covered as a nine and a half point dog under cashed at 50 and a half. So yeah, it was not a good day from Brady. First half was really abysmal. Second half, he did get better. Just kind of ran out of time in this one. I would note his first interception really went right off Jalen Darden's hand. So I wouldn't ring that up one up on him. Second one, I have no excuses. That was just a terrible pass. He did find a way to get Mike Evans for a nice 40 yard touchdown later in the game. The problem Problem was Mike Evans only had three targets in this one. So Goblin had eight targets. Leonard Fournette had nine targets. Tyler Johnson had five targets. Credit to Washington for doing something to dissuade Tom Brady from feeding his alpha beast on the outside and Mike Evans. We did see Goblin look healthy enough coming back from that injury. We know he was a game time decision. Caught seven balls for 57 yards. And we saw Fournette really just be a volume based RB1 as he's been all season long. 19 touches in this one. You love those eight catches and full point per reception formats also managed to chip in 92 total yards so we knew this game wasn't going to be easy sledding for Fournette on the ground against that Washington defensive line he still managed to turn in a performance that I'm guessing is going to be in the top 12 once you include all those receptions with it so again not a great game from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers I'm not going to take too much away from this though hopefully they can get Antonio Brown back soon then I think we'll really see this passing game step it back in to high gear with Washington Heineke arguably his best game of the season 26 for 32 256 yards and a score he did take five sacks and this one wasn't completely perfect out there but at the same time people he beat Tom Brady he put up 29 points on the Buccaneers and he did it like despite having so much of this offense go towards a useless running game 34 carries for 94 yards as a team everyone knows you can't run the ball against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the Washington football team did not get that message so luckily if you're an Antonio Gibson fantasy manager you got to overcome that inefficiency with touchdowns so Gibson 24 carries 64 yards is 2.7 yards for carry but scored twice from the goal line including the actual basically go it wasn't a go ahead they were already leading by three fourth and goal at the end of the game they decided to go for it instead of giving Tom Brady one more chance and Gibson found his way into the end zone so you know Riverboat Ron haven't been calling him that for a while but at least for a week or so I guess he gets the nickname back kudos to Ron Rivera on getting his guys the victory coming out of the bye and yeah, Terry McLaurin, six catches, 59 yards. It looked, uh, he took a big hit and they were ruling him out initial, not out, but questionable to return with a collarbone issue. He did come back. That is worrisome to me, Dwayne, because if it is the collarbone, man, we know how easily those bones breaks. I hope he wasn't just, you know, kind of pushing through it. I know they can take x-rays pretty quick, so maybe I'm overthinking it. But either way, I just hope Terry is healthy and continues to do his thing. Uh, we talked on the breakdown about how just up and down he's been all season. I know we prefer if he can just be up all the time but even getting this six catch 59 yard performance I think was a fairly decent sign of him just giving us some semblance of a floor because we haven't seen a ton of that um, this season what other notes do I have? I think that about wraps it up. Credit to DeAndre Carter doing some good things. Had a nice touchdown catch. And yeah, you know, just really was not of J.D. McKissick's week with Antonio Gibson getting so many rush attempts. Quickly with some injuries, Ricky Seals-Jones suffered a hip issue. We know Logan Thomas is still on his way back. And with RSJ now having that hip injury, unfortunately, we might not have any tight ends in this Washington offense we can feel good about in Fantasyland. In this Tampa Bay defense, just cannot get healthy. Richard Sherman suffered 
suffered a calf injury in pregame, couldn't even suit up, and Vita Vea suffered a knee injury late in the game. That Vita Vea one man is huge because if he's out of the picture, this front seven all of a sudden becomes a lot easier to get some push and run the ball on. So really pay attention to that one. Final note is that Chase Young, unfortunately, reportedly, Washington fears he suffered an ACL tear. So one of the best edge rushers in the game could be out of commission for the rest of 2021. Dwayne, this is the part where I've looked at the box scores. I think things are going well. I'm starting to get cautiously optimistic about Antonio Gibson's role. And then you're going to tell me the behind the scenes context where, no, Ian, it's still a three-back committee. Well, look, in the games where they lead, which is very rare, for Washington, those were the best games for Antonio Gibson. So they were ahead in this game. And look, as a player that used Brady a lot, like in DFS today, I got so sick of every time I looked at this game, I was like, how does Washington have the ball again? Like, does, does Tampa ever get the ball in this game? And so to their credit, yes, I mean, Gibson did his thing. Um, didn't really look very good doing it still. 2.7 yards per carry. Uh, 8% of his carries went for 10 yards or more. Like, he, he's definitely still dealing with an injury. Credit to him, though, like gutting it out, toughing it out. Did did punch in two touchdowns a day. Handled 75% of the rushing attempts, 63% of the snaps. Yeah, did not get involved in the long down and distance, only 25%. That all still went to J.D. McKissick. They didn't need the two-minute offense because they don't, you know, they led the whole game. So that wasn't really a factor. So, yeah, the role hasn't changed. But here's the thing. We didn't see Jarrett Patterson getting carries this weekend. So I think that's a positive because the last time we saw before a bye week, we saw Patterson actually out touch, you know, Antonio Gibson on the ground. So I think that's, that's kind of a hat tip towards, you know, maybe he is a little bit more healthy, but it's, it's kind of like what you've, it's, I kind of crack up because each week, whenever any time in any pod, we get to Washington and about their backfield, and you're basically, let's just not talk about the Washington running backs today. And like, so I was not going to talk about them. And it's the first thing Ian does is like, hey, Dwayne, how about the Washington running backs? So <laughs> anyway, you made me do it. So sorry, buddy. Um, it's still pretty much the same thing. Yeah, uh, Terry McLaurin, we'll keep an eye on that. I, yeah, hey, I broke a collarbone. Uh, what was that sophomore year in football? Yeah, I, Ian, it was a great play. I was actually running. I was on a, I was on a safety. I played safety. I know you're a linebacker. You're bigger than me, I guess. So I was on a safety blitz from one side, and so it was a handoff to the running back. I chase the running. The running back's going off tackle, so I'm running behind him. I run up and I grab him, and as he starts to fall. The other safety, a buddy of mine, Jason, we actually still play in a fantasy football league together. He's coming, and like, so he actually got scholarship offers. Dwayne didn't get any scholarship <laughs> offers. So he's just coming downhill, just barreling, and I'm like taking this guy's legs out, and he falls, and his helmet spears me right in the shoulder pad. Oh. Broken collarbone. Guess what? Coaches sent me right back in. I remember, hey, <laughs> Coach Hodges, I still remember you. I appreciate you sending me back out there wanting to vomit. Made me a better man that day, I guess, or something. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. Hurt not injured, Dwayne. Hurt not injured. Hurt not injured. Hurt not injured. Yeah, I was definitely, I was, I was having to, I had to wear one of those awkward, like, collarbone things, like, make you like this. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Bro, I, 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 I never did that. Yeah, but I, I separated my shoulder and they gave me this, like, old school, like, harness thing that they used to use for collarbones. And I was, like, just kind of wearing it, like, underneath my clothes. And I looked like yes. I weighed, like, an extra 100 pounds. And the doctor <laughs> took one look at me and she's like, what are you wearing? And I was like, well, they gave me this. She goes, first of all, you're not wearing that right. And she, like, tightened it appropriately the way it's supposed to keep your back in line. I felt like both my shoulders were going to separate. <laughs> so I can't, I can't even imagine what you were going through with that. But no, enough just, about it. I just had one of those things you do on the knee and he literally hit my collarbone with it. And I think I pretty much screamed bloody murder. And he's like, yep, get back in there. Okay, coach, <laughs> headed back out there. 
About to vomit everywhere. <laughs> Not going to tackle anyone. Is this game almost over? That game, that was my first game ever on, on turf. Anyway, moving oh, no. forward. Buccaneers <laughs> backfield. Here's the positive. Man, Ronald Jones is not involved at all. Like, you know, so in a game where they trailed the whole time, you did see a little bit more of Gio Bernard, but only out there for one snap for Ronald Jones. So this pretty much is... You know, I, this is a good thing from a standpoint of as far as Fournette, you know, when you think about volatility and we talk about utilization, like he's still in a good spot because even though a lot of the, the long down and distance, the two minute offense, all that stuff really went to Geo today. In fact, Geo got 100% of all that. They basically said, okay, because of that, we're not giving Ronald Jones anything. And they just only gave the ball to Leonard Fournette and then they worked on getting in the ball on early downs. 27% target share today for Leonard Fournette, despite never seeing a long down and distance snap and never seeing a two-minute offense snap. That's why sometimes you guys can say, Dwayne, screw utilization. We don't care. Like, because sometimes, like, look, weird things like this happen. Fournette still leads the team despite not having either one of those roles today. And Gio Bernard, man, golly, like, just balls popping up off his shoulder pads. Like, normally a very reliable receiver out of the backfield. He cost Brady one one pick, and he nearly cost him another one um, on a tip pass. So, um, but but they do like Bernard in that role. But I think that's a positive for for Fournette because now we've seen a, like three or four different kind of game scripts where we could have seen Fournette get less involved. It didn't happen. Um, didn't have Antonio Brown today. Tyler Johnson did handle all of the slot duties. He basically took over. You know, the role that we've seen Antonio Brown, we've been without Antonio Brown for a few weeks, but he's, he's really playing that role. He was actually saw 23% targets per route run. So he is a player that I think we can think of as like a fringe wide receiver three, wide receiver four on better passing days if we do get another week without Antonio Brown. PFF voice that is something you mentioned, Wayne, that Antonio Gibson didn't look good today, and he really hasn't looked good all year. It could be the shin injury. It could just be him not playing that well, but I can't just sit here and bemoan his volume all damn year without addressing the other side, which is this, that he has not looked as good. In 2021, 64.7 PFF rushing grade. Last year, that was at 85.3. This year, he's averaging just 0.1 missed tackles force per attempt. Last year, 0.21. This year, 3.8 yards per carry. Last year, 4.7 yards per carry and he's also dropped four passes on 25 targets after having just two drops in 43 pass game opportunities last year so hey man I wish they did do a better job with the volume because of all the exposure we have at this point. But if I were coaching the Washington football team, I can't say that I would exactly be pulling J.D. McKissick off the field on pass downs either because he has done a better job than Gibson this year. And let's face it, Gibson also hasn't been his usual, at least for one year, electric self as a rusher. So we can only hope that maybe down the stretch 2021, if not 2022, we see a healthier, more more explosive version of Gibson. We know that guy is there somewhere. It's too bad we haven't seen it for most of 2021. On to the 4 o'clock games, everyone. Panthers took down the Cardinals 34-10. to Cam is back, covered as a 7-point dog, under hit at 44 and a half. So this is really like the Christian McCaffrey experience. Everything went wrong for McCaffrey in this game, and he finished with 26.1 PPR points and will probably finish as the RB3 on the week. And by everything went wrong, I get it. He's got his usage. But the first drive, he runs that beautiful option route that nobody maybe that has ever put on a pair of shoulder pads could 
cover him as he's doing it. Catches the ball. He gets down at the one. They bring in Cam Newton. Cam, I think, supplies this my single. Like, my two favorite moments of this year are when Saquon scored that really long touchdown against the Saints, and you could just tell how joyful he was. And then this one, where Cam, they do their usual quarterback dive up the middle. It looks like it's going to be stuffed. Cam bounces it outside, finds a way to score, rips his helmet off, and just starts screaming, I'm back at the cameras. And they asked him after the game, like, why are you yelling that? And he's like, oh, last week I was eating cereal during this time. So, <laughs> hell yeah, Cam. Good answer. Got your job back, getting paid, having fun. NFL is way more fun with Cam Newton as one of his starting quarterbacks, and I am happy and will cherish uh, those moments. I mean, I know he didn't start in this one, but I think I think we'd all be pretty shocked if he's not starting in Week 11 and beyond. So that was awesome. But back to CMC. That's how the first drive ends. Second drive, he gets a run. He gets down inside the three. It looked like he actually scored, but they ruled him out justfully, you know, at the three-yard line. Cam comes in, throws a touchdown to Robbie Anderson. Later in the game, they ruled it a touchdown originally. Once again, said, no, okay, you were down at the six-yard line. Who scores the rushing touchdown this time? Chuba Hubbard. So Christian McCaffrey did not find the end zone, had three pretty damn good opportunities to do so, and it just didn't matter because when you can catch 10 passes a game and you play running back, you are the definition of a fantasy cheat code so great to see McCaffrey really back at his full powers he went in the blue medical tent briefly came back out and didn't seem any worse for the wear so gotta love that out of CMC but again people do not be afraid to keep Chuba Hubbard on that bench if you're able to he is one of the highest end handcuffs still available um Robbie Anderson Welcome back. Four catches, 37 yards, and a score. Unfortunately, DJ Moore could not get going the same way. Four catches, just 24 yards. I got to do some research on this, Dwayne. Obviously, a very important matter here, but it looked like in the postgame, Cam Newton was doing his interviews and talking with Robbie Anderson, not DJ Moore. So, might have a postgame presser storyline to keep an eye on. Um, I would hope in the future that we see DJ get back to being the featured receiver, but at this point, it is getting brutal. We already downgraded him to wide receiver two territory. We'll see what this passing game really looks like with a full game of Cam Newton, but obviously, the wide receiver one pipe dream we we're hoping was going to be there. At DJ Moore this year, probably not going to happen. Uh, with Arizona, look, guys, they had 169 total yards of offense. Cole McCoy, similar to Baker Mayfield, he got hurt. He suffered a chest injury, but he was miserable before he even got hurt. First drive of the game, he got strip sacked. He threw maybe the worst interception of the day, rolling to his right, trying to throw back across the middle, and just sailed it high. And that brought in Chris Streveler, CFL legend Chris Streveler, who I believe won the Grey Cup a couple years ago, and he couldn't do much better. So really, not much to write home about, other than James Conner finding a way to score yet another goal line touchdown. Also chipped in three receptions to not absolutely kill your lineup. So, Dwayne, on the surface, it looks like James Conner was the, you know, fairly undisputed lead back. But how close were things between him and Eno Benjamin in this first game with Chase Edmonds out of the picture? No, he completely dominated it. 82% of the snaps for Conner, 27% for Eno Benjamin, 58% routes versus 19%. And that's the kind of area where we didn't know for sure because we knew that Eno Benjamin did have a little bit, you know, of, of – you know, he had a collegiate pass where he had been able to do, you know, some things. Not that he was Chase Edmonds, but, you know, it's something where James Conner is really more of kind of a swing, check down pass player. So we didn't know if they might get, you know, Benjamin more involved in that facet of the game. They did not. 53% of the rushing attempts to James Conner, 32% to Eno Benjamin. Short down and distance, 83% to James Conner, only 33% to Eno Benjamin. And then long down and distance, 90% of those went to James Conner. So for all intents and purposes, still every down back, like you mentioned, Ian, it, 
was just a bad day. And the Cardinals were due for one of these. Like, they've kind of, you know, against all odds, really, like, they've just continued just to march on. And honestly, playing games where they it hasn't even been close, and they've just been dominating other teams. And so it was interesting to see them in this sort of game script. It was unfortunate, yes, that Colt McCoy got hurt. I would have liked to see what they – not that Colt McCoy's great, but you want to see him, like, with their – you know, at least their number two. We know with Kyler out, like, see what they could do. Now, you didn't have DeAndre Hopkins in this game either. Christian Kirk did his thing. 89% of the routes handled 28% of the targets. Um, you know, Christian Kirk, man, like the Cardinals are going to just like have to look at him and figure out like, what are they going to do? Ultimately, like, I feel like this should be DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk. Like, why do we continue to do what we're doing with AJ Green? I, I mean, fine. Like, I like AJ Green, but like, to me, it's just like, let's just funnel this stuff more to Kirk. Even once you get DeAndre Hopkins back, I feel like he's just the better asset. Rondell Moore, um, his snaps dropped. You know, he did come into this game, you know, playing through. You know, he got healthy throughout the week, but he came into this game injured. He was only out there for 33% of the routes, you know, today. But what happens? Out there for 33, 33% of the routes, let's target you. 33% of the time, you're on the field. And so he actually had 14% of the targets today, which I think actually beats what he had last week when he was out there for 80%. So, again, just the funkiness of fantasy football. But, look, Ron Elmore, he's a wide receiver four, wide receiver five. We're probably really looking at 2022. You guys all know that. You don't need me to tell you that. We are in week 10. But James Conner is every down you know, material at this point, you know, for the next few weeks. Uh, Robbie Anderson out there for 78% of the routes. Um, Ian, DJ Moore, 97%. Still was uh, second on the team in target share. DJ Moore, 23% behind Christian McCaffrey, who had 32% of the targets and a 3.00 yards per route run as a running back today, targeted on 45% of his routes. Only handled 34% of the rushing attempts. Uh, you know, 59% of the snaps, but doesn't matter because when you're out there, they design all these other things for Christian McCaffrey. So it's very clear. They're still trying to kind of like protect McCaffrey. And you you remember the days, Ian, where McCaffrey was like 100% of the snaps, like just 100%, 100% or 99%. Like, so they're, they're trying to do some different things to protect him, not get the wear and tear on him. Um, whenever they don't want to get him the ball. But it's not really an issue because when he's out there, they do want to get him the ball. I know we have some Tommy Trimble. I want to call him Trimbles like because it just sounds cooler. Tommy Trimbles. It's like, you know, somebody, somebody you don't want to mess with. Ian. Like, you don't yeah. want to owe Tommy Trimbles money. Um, it sounds like, Tom, like a mafia nickname, right? I know. That's why yeah. hey, it's called Tommy Trimbles. You know, <laughs> 62% of the routes. That was his high of the season. And so, like, this is a guy that, that kind of popped up on some athletic raw scores and things like that. So I got to get that out get, get that out there for the truthers. So Tremble was up to 62% of the routes. Only targeted 5% of the time, but that is by far his most playing time of the season. A lot of it probably is to do with what? A leading game script, right? So that means you're going to run more 12 personnel. It's not like Ian Thomas disappeared. He was still out there for 76% of the snaps. Did run less routes um, than Tom than Tommy Trembles, but uh, you saw Terrace Marshall with only 32% of the routes. So it's it's more likely to do what they ran more 12 personnel than 11 because they really had the Cardinals on the run all day. You and Tommy Trembles are going to Florida. Take care of a few things. I think Take so. care of this. <laughs> Christian McCaffrey, people, PFF, Lily Stag. It's just how ridiculous and how much of a cheat code he has been in fantasy. In 2019, that was the last time we got to see McCaffrey for a full season. His only, he had two weeks, that entire season where he finished outside of the top eight weekly RBs since then now. So 2020 to 2021, he's finished as the RB2, 5, 3, 1, 
three, gets hurt, 44, comes back last week, 15, and this week, three once again. We have not seen a fully healthy Christian McCaffrey finish outside the top five running backs since 2019, people. That is how insane his receiving workload is. Vikings took down the Chargers 27 to 20. Was hoping this one was going to be, I don't know, a little higher scoring, but it wasn't the worst game on the slate. Vikings covered as a three and a half point dog, under hit at 53 and a half. What a game from Justin Jefferson. Caught nine of 11 targets, 143 yards. And honestly, man, he had his swagger all over the place in this one. Caught a ball on the sideline, went to the Chargers bench, and flipped it to Keenan Allen. Oh, my goodness. Remember, guys, this is a second-year player. I absolutely love it. Um, And, yeah, man, just doing his thing. We knew this was a squeaky wheel spot. Had the OC talking about getting him more involved. Saw those low target numbers. We knew what we were getting in Justin Jefferson. He came through in a big way. Unfortunately, Chargers couldn't do it, man. My favorite stack this week in DFS was Herbert, Mike Williams and Justin Jefferson to bring it back. Obviously only got one out of those three and Ian's wallet and PFF Lily's dog treat inventory will not be happy accordingly. So it is what it is quickly though on the Vikings, Dalvin cook, 94 rushing yards and a score also chipped in a 24 yard screen to go over 100 kind of similar to McCaffrey man like this was almost like a floor game for Dalvin Cook and it just could have been so much more they had a drive early on where Cook got tackled just short of the goal line then they threw a horrific fade then they threw a touchdown to CJ Ham. that got nullified on a hold and then later in the game Dalvin Cook gets stuffed at the one yard line and then they gave him the ball again and he got stuffed so really could have been a 2-3 touchdown game from Dalvin Cook managers aren't complaining he still gave us over 100 yards and a score. Uh, just realized this role, not quite at McCaffrey's level, but still in anyone's idea of a top three weekly back as long as he is healthy. Um, that's Kirk Cousins. Very good game. I mentioned those, you know, Mac Jones rankings. He has been, as a pure passer this year, anyone's idea of a top five player at the position. So it's great to see Kirk when everything's humming. Um, my guy Chris Herndon dropped a pass. That sucked to see. And I probably shouldn't even talk about him anymore, but he'll always have a spot in my heart love you chris herndon uh with the chargers mike williams people and i really don't think it's that complicated spoiler with the pff low stat like i see people just coming out and trying to make all these like oh this is why mike williams was good and now he's bad it's his knee it's this it's that it's volume people it's not that hard to see. And even as someone that doesn't like separate much, this should be especially easy to see. Like Mike Williams, when they make a point to feed him the ball, usually does good things. When they don't, he's a lot more hit or miss. So in his four really good games this year, he had 12, 10, 9, and 16 targets. In his five games where he didn't produce, he had four, five, 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 and six targets. So if your argument is, hey, it was a fluke that he was that involved, small sample size, Keenan Allen is the undisputed out alpha in this offense fair we have seen that play out over the past month but it's not this like big decrease i think in just herbert or mike or their efficiency or their injury or what it's just been pure volume with that said today was not a good day for mike williams he caught a short slant got taken down right at the one maybe if he catches a little cleaner doesn't do a weird jump thing he could have bullied his way into the end zone wasn't meant to be and then the one that everyone remembers is he dropped a slant inside the 10 yard line sure it looked like he would have found his way into the end zone if he would have caught it so Dwayne like the target usage just hasn't been there man 
I would like to think it would come back. I mean, I don't think it was a coincidence that the best version of this Chargers offense that we've seen this year involved getting Mike really involved downfield, but at the same time, certainly need to, you know, adjust some of our projections and rankings uh, if we haven't already, which I, we have, but, you know, certainly not looking like he'll be a top 10, top 12 option. I mean, he was looking like a top three option to start the year, probably settling as more of a boomer bust, lower M wide receiver two, dare I say, boomer bust wide receiver three at this point. I still think that the number two receiver for Justin freaking Herbert is going to have more good weeks than bad, but when Justin Herbert can't clear 200 yards and only throws one touchdown, it's going to be hard for more than just Keenan Allen to eat. So at least Keenan did come through eight catches, 98 yards. We also had Austin Eckler catch a short touchdown, chipped in 44 yards on the ground. But Dwayne, it's Mike Williams. That's the part on everyone's mind. Let the people know what you think. Again, I understand dropping him in the ranks. You know, we're not treating him as a top 10, even a top 15 option at this point. I'm still going to be pretty hard-pressed to sit him more weeks than not as long as he's healthy. Yeah, well, what was interesting about this game is they actually did try to do a few different things with him. Ian, you know, his dot had really been up over the last few games versus early in the season. We had seen him really operating truly in that Michael Thomas role, right? In that nine, 10 yards, running a lot of these slants inside against linebackers, safeties, those sort of things. And we had seen him really stretching things out. And not that he wasn't running those route combos earlier in the season, but where we were seeing him show up in the box score was whenever he was working inside the hashes or inside the numbers, right, is a better way to say it in the NFL because those damn hashes are so freaking close together, um, you know, to help out the kickers. But Mike Williams was really, you know, operating in those zones of the field. And we didn't see that, you know, over the last few weeks. So they did try to get the ball more to him in those kind of scenarios. The fact is average depth of target today was only a 1.6, which is by far, by far his season low. But I am a little concerned just with Williams right now because what we had seen coming in, you know, you know, and hey, I took an L early in the season because like one of the articles I wrote right before the season was like basically Mike Williams was on my bus list. And the reason why was really his targets per route run historically like had not been very good for being a first round pick um, really below everyone, you know, that we had seen that had been picked as high as he had been in the NFL draft. And so my thought was like, like, OK, like if this guy hasn't done it yet. You know, and then he, of course, he stormed out of the gates. But now over the last few weeks, we've really seen everything fall back. To really what we had seen before, which is he's like a 15 to 17 percent targets per route run player. And that's where he's been. I still tend to lean towards where you are. Like Justin Herbert, I like as a player. I like the Chargers offense. They throw the ball more than the NFL average in every single situation. But here's the thing that has my attention the most with Mike Williams, Ian. He is whenever he gets the single one-on-one -on -one man coverage situations, He's just not doing a very good job of winning, right, and giving his quarterback something to throw to. So if you look at him, four receivers with at least 50 routes run, you know, he's in the bottom 10 on, on, on the season, you know, in the league. Only 31% of the time is he winning that matchup. Like, so he's really down there. with, And it doesn't mean you can't – look, this is only half a season. Like, this isn't saying Mike Williams sucks. This is just the day that we have through this point in the season. So he's, like, down there with guys like Brian Edwards, Terrace Marshall, Jalen Rager – Nelson Aguilar, like other names you really just don't like. Like, so that kind of bothers me, you know, with Mike Williams. But I, I am with you. I'm still going to give grace here because I do like the offense. I do think, you know, I think what he did early in the season is, you know, it's it can be replicated, right? It's not like he just had some fluky kind of 
big games just because, oh, wow, he caught some long touchdowns. Like, he was heavily involved in the offense, operating within the confines of the offense. So to your point, we'll probably have to bump him down one more time in the ranks. But I'm probably, you know, I issued a buy low on Mike Williams last week. I may double down. Like, he's out there plenty. 95% routes per drop back versus 98% for Keenan Allen. So it's not like he's not on the field. Um, You know, he's still getting targets, you know, inside the end zone. Um, still gets used a decent amount, you know, even on third downs and fourth downs. So overall, I'm, I'm probably still staying positive on Mike Williams. I, I do know for folks it is getting harder and harder when you keep getting these five and eight point, you know, weeks out of him. Um, it just really depends on what's on your bench. But I'll, I'll break and, and it down Dwayne, further. like, I think yeah. it goes, like, do you believe in Justin Herbert? Like, if you believe in Justin yeah. Herbert, you should yeah, that's believe. What I'm saying. And, and Mike Williams. Believe- because Justin Herbert has fewer than 225 passing yards in three of his last four games. Like, that's that's where it's coming from, people. Like, it's not that Herbert is just lighting it up to Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer and Mike Williams just isn't, you know, he's being left behind in the offense. That piece of the offense is missing. And for the Chargers to be their best selves, I think they need to get it back. Yeah, the three players they want to get the ball to is still clearly Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, and Mike Williams. You know, so, I mean, that's still the pecking order. We were just used to getting these 30% target weeks, right, for Mike Williams. It was nice. Get a 16%. It was nice. It was very nice. Uh, as far as the Vikings, there's really nothing. Look, you folks know, like, this is Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen, right? Tyler Conklin, he did his thing today, even though he was only out there for 44% of the routes. I think he caught he catch two touchdowns today, Ian. I think he caught two touchdowns. One or two, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Tyler Conklin. Yeah, he caught two touchdowns. Uh, five targets, three receptions, 11 yards, and the big one that matters, two touchdowns. So, yeah, the Vikings offense looking the same. It's really the triad. It's the triad. Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. But, yeah, Justin Jefferson, man, 54% of the air yards today, 33% of the targets, 3.86 yards per route run for Mr. Jefferson. Dalvin Cook, yeah, he did come through. We were hoping for a little more. Like when you get the too high look all day, right? We hear about, if you hear the Chargers, like it's synonymous now with Chargers, like I think they should just change like their logo to like, you know, two players like way back off the line of the scrim- off off the line of scrimmage. It's like too high. You know, what do you mean too high? Who gives a shit? It's gone. Anyway, so some of you guys that like major league, you'll get that. Oh my gosh. Well whenever I think about safeties really being back though, I think of uh the um oh who's their DC? The Browns when they had Jabril Peppers playing like literally thirty yards off the line oh, yeah. with uh Greg <laughs> Greg Williams, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. That was some funny content. Eagles took down the Broncos 30 to 13. Philly covered as a two and a half point dog under cash at 44 and a half. Death taxes, Jalen Hurts working as a QB1. As long as he gets his four quarters in, literally, people, again, I'll just keep spoiling the PFF Philly stats. Screw it. Every single time this guy has started at least four quarters, he has finished as a QB1 this week. Pre Sunday Night Football finished as the QB5. That's what one of the best rushing floors in the game will get you. But really in this one, you know, everyone that's going out there and, you know, Lamar catches it, Jalen Hurts catches it. He made some great throws. I'm not saying he's made great throws all season long, but Devontae Smith, two first half touchdowns, and there should have been a third on one of, honestly, the best passes, I think, all season to Quez Watkins. Could have been a nice 30, 35-yard score. Hit him directly in the hands, directly in stride. Just couldn't come down with it. And Quez has had a, you know, far exceeded expectations this year. So certainly not saying to go shit on Quez Watkins or anything. Just realize that Jalen Hurts' first half could have been even more special. But it's all good. 53 rush 
rushing yards. Again, had those two scores too. Devontae Smith. With Devontae, I don't think he's going to be this efficient every week. But hey, he's got J.J. Watt's elbow brace on. So maybe it is like a situation where he's just going to start bringing in those powers and making the most out of six targets game in and game out. Either way, good to see Devontae put together not one, but two consecutive high-end weeks paying off for those that drafted him You know, in those top eight rounds trying to be aggressive back in August. Um, elsewhere with Philly, backfield continued to be all sorts of muddled. Jordan Howard, 12 carries. Boston Scott, 11 carries. Of course, Kenneth Gamewell, only two. RB2, all season long, starter goes down. Now you're the RB3. That's just life in the NFL if you're Kenneth Gamewell. Hate to see it. With the Broncos, Teddy Bridgewater predictably took a big step back. One of the things I highlighted in my QB predictions piece going ahead of this week was that Teddy, while we think of him, you know, as this kind of dink and dunk guy, someone that would probably be pretty good against a zone-heavy team like Philly, he actually has worked as one of the worst quarterbacks targeting zone-heavy defenses this year, and we really saw that all game. Like, their only explosive play in this one was a five-yard curl to Albert O, who he then busted that for 64 yards after two defenders ran into each other. So I know a couple weeks ago when Noah Fant was out and we were talking about Alberto being like a great week, being a great streamer that you could actually fire up as a top 10, top 12 guy because of his receiving ability. Look no further than that 64-yard catch and run to see what we were talking about there. We did see Noah Fant chip in five catches, 59 yards, so didn't completely um, erase on the, on the box score or anything. But as long as Alberto is healthy, going to be tough for Fant to really return that high-end tight end one volume. A lot of us we're hoping for this year. Really, it was just the, the big issue with Teddy in this one. Corlin Sutton's second target came with about three minutes left in the fourth quarter, and he picked up a good 40, 50-yard defensive pass interference penalty. So I'm not saying Sutton is like in the same league as like DK Metcalf or Tyreek Hill, these guys who I truly think should get like five bomb targets a game. No you know, exaggeration there. But come on, like this is now a situation where he's averaging about three targets per game with Teddy under center. Now, that just does not, it should not fly, but hey, if Corlin Sutton's going to die, at least that's going to mean Jerry Judy is going to live. Already had a big-time lead in targets over this entire group with Teddy under center. Had a team-high nine targets in this one. Didn't do a lot with it because of Teddy once again. I mean, there was a situation where it looked like Judy could have gotten loose for like a 70-yard score. He kind of ran this out and up. It looked like the corner. Sometimes when there's a wheel route, the other guy has to kind of worry about taking it deep. Seemed like there was some miscommunication. Either way, Judy was wide open deep. And Teddy threw that thing a good 20 yards beyond him. So just was a day to forget for Teddy. And that's without even mentioning when Melvin Gordon lost a fumble and Teddy just showed like some, he showed like year 15 Tony Romo level of like wanting to tackle this guy. I understand you're a quarterback and you want to keep your body healthy, but man, Teddy, this one looked bad out there. So I'm not even going to criticize him for not tackling the guy like Teddy tackling him does not help the Broncos' long-term interest. Him being healthy helps their long-term interest, but it just looked bad, man. All I'm saying, Dwayne, for better and for worse, Drew Locke makes that tackle, and uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, quickly with these running backs, really more of the same. Melvin Gordon outside of that lost fumble, which it's not like he's fumbled every play this year. We're not going to hold that completely against him. Melvin looked good. Javante looked great, and they continue to split usage. So we'll see if Melvin Gordon does end up kind of seeding this role a little bit. The 
Broncos second half schedule, guys, is incredible as I pull it up. They have a bye next week, Ashley. But after that, they get the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Lions, the Bengals, the Raiders, and the Chargers. Again, that too high defense twice in the final six games of the year. So hopefully, even if we don't see this you know, backfield go towards Javante, we just see them both be efficient enough to make the most of it um, in this nice schedule. But yeah, man, it was tough to see. Javante did have a 20-yard touchdown run around the corner, getting nullified on a hold. So he continued to really look explosive, um, just couldn't quite get it done. And oh yeah, Tim Patrick also had a touchdown sale 10 yards over his head on the last pass of the Broncos uh, game. Fourth down, Teddy was rolling out to his right. I was just expecting a pass to like five defenders. It was fourth down. You know, what can you do? But no, Tim Patrick was wide open. And if he was nine feet tall, it would have been a perfect pass. Uh, unfortunately, he is not nine feet tall. So yeah, Dwayne, Teddy, I feel like we've seen it at this point, man. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say that this Broncos team would be like a playoff contender if Drew Locke was under center. But what I will say is that as long as Teddy is there, as long as he's going to just even things so close between Patrick, the tight ends, Judy, the running backs, I don't know if we can rank a single Bronco in the top 24 or top 12 at any position moving forward. And that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, man, it's tough. Like, because the talent's there. I mean, I think... Judy is clearly the player, right? Because he operates in the area of the field where Teddy, I think, is the most comfortable, which is really under, under underneath and in the intermediate zones. You get an easy read from the slot, like especially if they use motion, some different things that they do with Judy. So Judy's out there for the least amount of routes, but it's still 89%, which is really good. Um, and, but he's leading the team in targets the last two weeks. He had 26% of the targets today. He, he's the preferred option for sure. I'm just saying even then, I'm not sure if I can put him as a top 24 receiver. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, he, he's the one player I think that we can trust the most from the offense. Like where sure. we rank him, I agree. I'm not going to have him inside my top 24. Um, but as far as like Cortland Sutton, like he's out there plenty, you know, and he's going to eventually have a blow-up game, but he just – you know, it, that's not that's not Teddy's bag, man, is throwing this guy these sort of looks that we really want to see Cortland Sutton get. And so even though we did see it earlier in the year when he was forced to because he didn't have the safety blanket, um, you know, with Judy, he had his period where he also didn't have Noah Fant and some other things. So um, we'll see how it works. It's it's I think you've nailed it. Look, you've got a below average quarterback with a lot of really great weapons. It's like, you know, like a five-year-old, you know, waking up and, you know, he inherited like a Porsche. Like, well, what do I do with it? I don't know. I don't know what the hell to do with it. Like, I just need my tricycle. That's all I need. Um, so it's just one of those situations where we kind of got to just like grit and, you know, grin and just bear through it, I guess, Ian. You know, it, it, and we talk about it every week. Like, one of the guys could hit. We have no clue which one, really. But, like, if I had to put odds on it, it is Judy. But here's the big storyline today. So Javonta Williams for the first time this season, Ian. And I know there was a fumble involved, but it is for the first time he did actually outsnap Melvin Gordon. 57% to 43%. 58% routes versus 39%. Rushing attempts still slide edge to Gordon, 45% versus 40 but short down and distance, 67% to Javanta, 33% to Melvin Gordon. And long down and distance, also Javanta with the edge, 55-45. So we'll see what happens to your point, um, but I think that's notable. It's the first time that we've seen that all of 2021. 
you mentioned a little bit about how well, you know, how good Williams looked. Yeah, like the game script just didn't work out today, but still six yards per carry, 5.88 of that coming after contact. So good job, Broncos O-line, 0.12 yards <laughs> before contact. Way to go, guys. First down, um, you know, on 38% of his, of his attempts, two explosive runs despite the fact that he was limited in his touches. So still 25% of his carries went for over 10 yards. He's keeping that streak alive. He pretty much does it every freaking single week. Um, so, yeah, Javonta Williams, we'll keep an eye on it. But I definitely think that is the biggest storyline. If there is a potential shift to where this is now 60-40 in favor of Javonta, um, you know, we could have some bigger weeks coming. Obviously, like you mentioned, we got the bye week. Uh, coming up next week so we'll have to wait one more week and then who knows what will happen but anyway it's a positive as far as the eagles go not really a lot to say here you know jalen hurts like to your point like just keeps on finishing in the top 12 but he does continue to also just kind of live like so like just like right on the edge like turnover worthy plays today eight percent of his passes were turnover worthy um he did end up with one interception but there could have actually been more he was pushing the ball down the field doing his normal thing 3.8 percent you know scramble rate not not as much as what we've seen from him but what is the thing that matters the most it's how much does he get to run the ball 38 percent of the team's rushing attempts Going through Jalen Hurts, 35% through Jordan Howard, and 32% through Boston Scott. So it's really the three-headed rushing attack continues with Jalen Hurts really leading the way. Devonta Smith, good for him. Two weeks in a row. We've talked about Devonta all week. There's, I mean, all season. We've. It's really all of his utilization based on you know targets, routes, like how he was getting used, all the different routes he's running, like the different areas of the field he's attacking. All screen. They're like this guy is a wide receiver too. And now we are finally seeing that. And he's 2.87 yards per route run today. Mm -hmm. So he's really, he's kind of on a heater. And he could have, like you said, he could have even had more. Um, so it's he's still limited a bit because you do have an offense that we know is not going to throw for three or 400 yards each week. So things could be a little tight. He did score two touchdowns today, which really helped him. But it's just good to see, you know, Smith really playing well. You know, we've seen Jamar Chase really, you know, get off and just basically explode, you know, the season as a rookie. And Devonta Smith is another guy I know we both liked a lot. So I'm just excited to see him doing his thing. It's going to be interesting, Ian. We will be getting Miles Sanders back. So what's going to happen once we do see Sanders back with this backfield? Does it continue to be really a three-way, four-way rotation? What does that look like? Because I'll tell you right now, like had the Eagles been committed to the ground game like they are now, when Miles Sanders was basically the only thing in town besides the two-minute offense, which was Kenneth Gainwell, like we'd probably be super excited about Miles Sanders. But again, yeah. this is how fantasy football works. The Eagles thought that was not their identity. They didn't really want to do that. Now they think it is their identity. But it is is it now now that it is their identity, is it gonna be something where, well, yeah, Miles, like we like you, but we're gonna split your carries among, you know, all the rest of these backs. And so that's gonna be an interesting thing to monitor because if for some reason they did say, no, actually we've always liked Miles Sanders and now we just want him to do what we've been doing with Jordan Howard and Boston Scott for the last three weeks. That would be really interesting for down the stretch football for fantasy purposes because it would mean Miles Sanders would have a lot of value. Shout out to I mentioned the fumble, but I mean it was a hell of a return and just play period by Darius Slay. So don't want to take anything away from him on that awesome return. Dwayne, I'm just happy the Eagles now have won two of their last three Broncos and Lions. No I'm not one's happy completely. About that. I'm an NFC what? East fan of the Cowboys, but anyway, we'll just keep going. I mean, the Cowboys would probably be the number one seed. Who cares? We just couldn't have a situation where the Eagles were like 1-13. and 13. They just decided to bench hurts for Gardner Minshew right this when we true. needed That's the guy okay. for the fantasy I'll playoffs. Yes, so, you are correct. 
They got the Saints, they got the Giants, they got the Jets, and they got a week 14 bye. Then Washington, Giants, and Washington again should continue to be more QB1 goodness from Jalen Hurts down the stretch. Final game, we keep saving the worst for last thanks to the Packers, I guess. They took down the Seahawks 17 to 0. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, 17 total points. Sick. Green Bay covers as a three point fave. Under cash is at 49. Yeah. Just a pretty horrendous game. It looked like two offenses that hadn't practiced with their quarterback for, you know, the better part of the last two weeks. I know for Seattle, it was quite a bit more. And I am inclined to largely throw it out, at least for the Seahawks. Russell Wilson, 161 yards on 40 pass attempts. Did not look like he had his usual accuracy. At the same time, Green Bay, man, they've now faced Kyler, they faced Mahomes, and they faced Russ, and we can make as many excuses as we want for those offenses. They've held them to, I believe, a combined 33 or 34 points. So Green Bay, no Dryer Alexander, no Zadarius Smith. You got to give these guys some credit. They are 8-2 and two now with their only losses being that inexplicable week one game against the Saints and then obviously not having Aaron Rodgers against the Chiefs. So Green Bay, man, just continues to really, I think, outperform kind of what the uh, old analytics would say about them. And you got to give that defense first and foremost a ton of credit for what they did. Alex Collins like was actually more featured I think than we would have guessed going into this game you know looking at a situation where we could have seen Rashad Penny or DJ Dallas or Travis Homer start to take more of a role here and you look at the box score people and Alex Collins 10 carries Homer only had one and we also saw him at least getting one target although Homer led the way with four so it does seem like Chris Carson is on the verge of being back at the same time I wouldn't be shocked if Pete Carroll tells us tomorrow that Carson's out for the rest of the year we just really need to keep it day by day with this rotation for now Alex Collins will continue to be a low-end RB2 the second Carson is back that is going to be out the window and we're probably not going to be able to treat Carson as too different at least in that first week depending on how they're going to split up his carries so with the receivers Gerald Everett you know really paid off at the, as that 2.6k cash game tight end that we told you guys about on the DFS pod eight catches 63 yards on eight targets none went longer than 12 but he did show some good uh broken tackle yak goodness and i think everett could end up being this upside tight end two borderline tight end one that a lot of us were hoping he could be before he unfortunately had covid take out several of his early season games the big issue was the lack of performance elsewhere in the seattle offense dk metcalf most notably tried to fight the entire green bay packers team and then got ejected from the game after grabbing like three different guys face masks tried to go right back in the huddle like nothing happened uh <laughs> dk you're not exactly the easiest guy to blend in bro you're kind of bigger and scarier than anybody else out there on the field. You know, you dye your hair like blue, whatever color it is right now. I think it's going to be a hard time getting past uh, the rest. But I love the spirit. Hopefully they don't suspend him. It just seems like a situation, man. Every single game Metcalf plays, cornerbacks are trying to cheap shot him, get him, hit him late, get in his head. So yeah, it was frustrating, man. He didn't, he didn't do anything that bad though. Let D, don't take DK Metcalf off the field for more than this game. I think you know, find him, do whatever. But I'll be pissed if they suspend the dude. Unfortunately, just 26 scoreless yards. Tyler Lockett, 23 scoreless yards. Again, just don't overreact too bad. We're still firing up Metcalf and Lockett with confidence each and every week. On the Green Bay side of things, you know, Rodgers is. Couldn't really get it done here. 292 scoreless passing yards. 
brutal end zone interception uh, in, a, in a spot that could have, I think, extended that lead a good amount. The big news, Dwayne, and we'll be talking about this all day tomorrow, is Aaron Jones suffered a sprained MCL. We'll see. I mean, it's not a torn ACL or anything like that, so you would hope that's not of a season-ending variety or anything. Certainly does seem like something that could either limit Aaron or just make him miss a few games. And if that's going to be the case, A.J. Dillon's going to be locked inside the RB1 scale. 21 carries in this one, 66 yards, and a pair of scores and that's understating it because he actually had two catches for 62 yards his 50 yard catch and run was one of the best plays of the day breaking all sorts of tackles up and down the field i mean aj Dillon, Dwayne, the j stands for january the guy's only gonna get better as the year goes on hard dude to tackle it's just always been a part of the volume and the fact that we have seen over the first 10 weeks of the year that they are willing to throw him the ball maybe not as much as Aaron Jones or some of these other guys but we'll take it if we can get three to five targets per game for Dylan that's great I'll take two to three we just can't have him be such a liability that someone like Kylan Hill would take him off the field and pass downs that does not seem to be the case so Dwayne based on what we've seen from Dylan both as just his own performance and the usage if Jones is going to miss time Dylan's going to be locked in that top 10 on a week-to-week basis yeah, essentially you have, you know, the Browns, you know, situation where we talked yeah. about, you know, with Dearness Johnson. Like that's essentially what AJ Dillon is stepping into. Same type of offense, but he has a better quarterback. You got a better ceiling for points scored. Yeah, they throw the ball a little bit more, right, than what we've seen with the Browns. But yeah, AJ Dillon's gonna be a low end RB one, um, with upside to even be more. Like it's always gonna be a threat to score multiple touchdowns. So yeah, I, I think great situation to be in for him. Um, as far as the rest of the Packers, not much else as far as news, like Devontae Adams did his thing. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, we did see, get up to 70% of the routes. Uh, so that was an increase from where we had seen him before, you know, in his first week back last week, which was around the 50% mark. So he could be closer to being the wide receiver, too, down the stretch for the Packers. Um, as far as the Seahawks, you mentioned Gerald Everett. Man, uh, we had talked about him last week. You know, we talked about him, well, we had before the bye, he had – well, first he had taken over the the backfield from or the tight end you know role from Disley like four or five weeks ago. Got COVID, came back, was really my dogs are super excited about Gerald Everett. Like I don't know why. Like <laughs> I am Gerald, too, man. Let's go. Yeah. So it is actually an exciting topic. But so then he went through COVID, came back, was still kind of in a split with Disley. We talked about him the week before the bye, saying, look, it looks like he's kind of got this role back. Come out of the bye week. And now you actually get to see it from Everett, 84% of the routes, 21% target share, 1.54 yards per route run, 20% targets per route run. So, yeah, Everett's in a really good spot. And really, look, man, like the Seahawks, I know they had a bad day today. Look, it's just chalk it up to Russ coming back, you know, you know, playing with an injured finger still, but not able to practice, you know, for multiple weeks. Like, just getting timing and all those sort of things down. But we know that the Seahawks need a third weapon, right? It can't, and we've seen teams just really figure out how to kind of limit when it's just Lockett and Metcalf. So I think this could be a bigger thing than just fantasy, right? Is the Seahawks need a third option. And Gerald Everett definitely fits the bill of being someone that can stretch the seam. You know, he can run after the catch. This is an athlete. This, this is not a blocking tight end, right? This is more of an athlete type tight end. You know, we had seen him have these flashes as a Ram, but he was always in this committee with Tyler Higbee. So really excited to see what he can do for the rest of the season. As far as 
the backfield today. 91% of the rushing attempts did go to Alex Collins, but the Seahawks trailed the whole game. So Travis Homer is the long down distance and the two-minute offense back. He saw those today, 92% of long down distance, 100% of the snaps in the two-minute offense. So Alex Collins, he just basically got game scripted out, but it wasn't, it wasn't three backs, right? It wasn't something where we were seeing Rashad Penny or another back get out there, which is a positive. We'll see what happens with Chris Carson, you know, to your point this week. Um, you know, if he's back in action, obviously that makes this a three-way split. But if he's not, I think we can feel a little better about Collins moving forward now that we're really just talking about two backs instead of three. Everyone, that's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast after I finish it up with our PFF Lily stat because I suck sometimes and forget to include things. But shout out AJ Dillon. I cheated here just a little bit. Year 2021. So yes, I am including some of his playoff goodness in that game we saw against the Buccaneers. But the only running backs with more yards after contact per carry than AJ Dillon. Minimum 100 carries in the year 2021. Nick Chubb, James Robinson, Javante Williams, and Jonathan Taylor, not bad company to be in, Dwayne, if I do say so myself. But arguably more importantly, arguably less importantly, either way, we would appreciate it if you support the podcast by using promo code FANTASY for 25% off any PFF sub. We have grades and data live for every single player we logged to Snap last week. Go check out the highest graded players from Week 10. You can, again, support the pod, use promo code FANTASY, check out Dwayne's utilization report, my wide receiver cornerback breakdown, all of our player rankings and strength schedule tools, betting dashboards, player prop tools, everything in between. Again, use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any sub and also our sponsor today manscape just launched new products including their all new ultra premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner it's time to give yourself or someone who needs it the gift of beautiful skin hair and balls this holiday season go to manscape.com and use code pff for 20 percent off plus free shipping this week we are giving away multiple performance packets 4.0s rate and review the podcast leave your email and we will choose winners at the end of the week tis the season to load up on manscape products so get yourself your dad your brother your and friends, the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Also, be remiss if I didn't give a shout-out to DraftKings because football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet in any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets when your team scores. When a team scores, you score. Again, download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet $1 on either team to score. They must have changed this after I gave the people the wrong freaking team to win, Dwayne. Now someone just needs to score, and you win $100 and free bets if they score. You score a promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania. Customers only minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com. Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dwayne, we got Chiefs 17, Raiders 4. We're going to get drunk and watch it. You might be drinking coffee. I'm going to get drunk and watch it. 14, but yeah. (laughs) Not Raiders 4. Seventeen to four. Oh my gosh! Oh, I love well, you, Ian. I love you. I love you. you make me I love feel better too, about man. all my mistakes. That's what we're, we're here to support one another. I'm, I'm um, happy that p- people don't rip us too much for the Sunday night stuff. It's late, you know. We've been you know what? You're right. Looking like, at screens a little bit too long. I feel like we do get a bit discombobulated sometimes, like by the end of this thing. And you're right. Like I haven't had anybody like jump on me about it yet. So yeah, that's pretty cool. We appreciate the grace that you folks have, you know, given us. 
uh, at you know nine thirteen, ten thirteen for Ian, you know, on a Sunday night after you know eyes bleeding, staring at the screen all day. So for sure. Anything else you want to say, Mister McFarland? No, man. Uh, utilization report. I will be grinding on it tomorrow. Obviously, I throw out tweets throughout the day of nuggets that I'm finding. It'll post on Tuesday. Um, then we'll hit on rankings, man. It'll be back. We'll be on to week eleven, Ian. It'll be like you know, we're just we're just moving on. We're always moving forward. Great day to be great. On to week 11. We have, you know, Dwayne, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Probably only about six more of these left. Not positive that we're going to be pushing through this late, you know, week 17, week 18, when it stops mattering in fantasy land. But we will continue to make sure that all of you out there trying to win your fantasy leagues, trying to take down that DFS tourney, just trying to enjoy fantasy football more. We'll continue to have every single piece of information that you could ever want, courtesy of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank Thank you as always for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody.